Welcome to Savvy Sab's podcast on Colin. This is episode 61. Bree, Shama, and Ryan debate recap. Recently, Brianna Joy Gray, Shama Sawan, and Ryan Grimm debated the squad's votes about the railroad worker strike. What are your thoughts about the debate? Who do you feel is correct and why? And I ask you guys, uh, those of you that saw the stream tonight, to also take into consideration what the railroad workers said on the stream. So yes, I am very happy <laughs> that these things just happened to line up because I already had planned for the workers to come on tonight and then that debate dropped uh, earlier this afternoon. So this was like perfect timing. All right, I see we already have people lined up. Let's go ahead and bring in Brent. You are on the mic, just have to unmute. Can you hear me? Oh, I guess I have to change my volume thing here too. Not you, Brent. It's it's me. Let me go to media. Okay, there we go. Hello. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? I am good. How are you doing? Good. Good. So, um, I was I didn't catch your interview with the workers, but I feel I don't have to because I feel that they should be getting sick leave. I, I, I just I just I just can't believe that in the United States of America, um, they don't get they have to use their vacation time when they're sick. That's just disgusting to me. So um, that's just crazy. And another thing I want to say is um, I'm just kind of surprised that people uh, they don't see that Ryan people like Ryan Grimm are sellouts. I I've always believed even before I followed politics that these politicians they're they're all sellouts because they're all about money and they're all about the status. And I feel like Ryan Grimm is just trying to um, protect his butt so that he can get, gain access to these uh, politicians that he seems to um, worship a lot. And I feel like all these politicians are just in it for um, the benefits and the pay. And I just want to say that. So to me, it's not surprising that, People like Ryan Grimm are just are trying to uh, protect the the squad. So, yeah. yeah, it's it's not surprising at all. And you brought up a good point about every everyone in this country should basically be guaranteed sick leave. It's true, and that's what was so frustrating to me. And I told the workers tonight, we already had a labor movement in this country way before I was born. And the fact that this is even still an issue in 2022, it is absolutely appalling to me. And it is very frustrating to hear people like Ryan Grimm run cover for politicians. Where's that same type of passion in defense for the workers? And I think that's what made me really flustered. It's just like, I wish Ryan Grimm had this same type of passion and energy and fire for the workers, the same way that he does for members of the squad it's it's just not right it's not fair and it's it's honestly embarrassing like i'm embarrassed i talked to um some of my friends that live abroad and they just this is unbelievable to them like they they don't understand it they don't really get why our country is this way it's very upsetting and you know at this point in time i think shama sawant brought up a really good point when she said she doesn't have to watch a podcast with one worker for her to decide where she feels on the issue. Regardless, she stands with the workers. 
And that's something that Ryan Grimm should be doing. He should be standing with the workers. Now, when he was on RBN, he did tell uh, Nick and, and CJ in Rome, he said that he grew up poor. Okay, but you're not poor now. And, and this is the same criticism I've had before towards people that are celebrities now that also grew up poor. They love to tell this story. I grew up in poverty. I grew up in the projects. J-Lo was notorious for this. I'm from the Bronx. Okay, but you don't live there now. And, and you've been pretty well off financially for quite a while. And sometimes I think people, they forget. They forget what it was like. And they're not thinking about it now because they don't live that, that type of lifestyle. I just, listen, Congress has unlimited sick leave unlimited and they can't you mean to tell me they can't give these people just seven days of sick pay when we still have a pandemic in this country most of the people that i know people who have um who have other medical conditions per se most of those people that i know that did get covid those people were out for days so to not even have like seven days of, of paid sick leave it's depressing it was it was disturbing to hear from Matt tonight say that his wife got sick from COVID and she died and he was not paid. He had to stay home and help take care of his wife and his kid and he wasn't paid for it. That is absolutely disgusting and it is appalling. And I wish that Ryan Graham would have spoken to someone like Matt to hear that story. So hopefully it could resonate for him. Right. Right. And I didn't, you mentioned me about, uh, the, something about uh, Ryan Graham being poor. I've learned that no matter what your background is, uh, poor, rich, whatever, it's just because you're poor does not make you, and you work your way up to be rich, does not make you necessarily a a good person. And I've, I've learned that um, the poor people, it, if they had the same access as Ryan Graham, the same money, they'd, they'd become the same way, but they're not given that opportunity because nobody uh, they don't have that platform but if they were able if they were put in positions of power i believe that they would be just as corrupt as mm -hmm. the people that are currently in power and it's just human nature like it, we live in a capitalist society where um we value money and status and i feel like just because you, you grew up poor and you work your way up doesn't make you that doesn't that's doesn't always change who you are on the inside and um that's right. It's it's so when I hear this poor like oh I grew up poor or and I were and now I'm rich or whatever that doesn't ma mean that you're a good person or just or just like someone who grew up rich that doesn't mean that they're a bad person. Um, the money doesn't always or lack of money or having money does not make uh, always uh, change who you are as a person. So. If Ryan Grimm pulls that BS like oh I grew up poor I, I'm sure he did I, I don't know him. But that that excuse does not um, cover what he's doing now. What he's doing, like covering for the squad. Oh, I grew up poor. That that, that shouldn't be used as a shield to protect him from criticism. That's right. Well said, Brent. Yeah, I know a lot of people that have they've had that experience. But like I've said, you know. That doesn't mean, if anything, if you grew up poor, then you should be defending the workers. You should be right. back them. I mean, they told me tonight, the workers told me tonight, you know, one thing I didn't get to play in that debate, Ryan Grimm said they didn't want to go on strike. Those of you who watched tonight, the workers told me tonight 
they did vote to go on strike. It was struck down. So this is why it's important that you hear from them, that you talk to them and not just us arguing back and forth with Ryan Grimm. So Ryan Grimm, I don't know if he's doing a podcast tour now or what, because he came on to argue RBN to argue this point. Then he went on to bad faith to argue this point. I don't know where he's going to go on next, but I mean, no, like you have to stop running cover for the politicians. And I think he is more so focused on whether or not something was going to pass. And he did this during force the vote as well. He's more focused on that instead of focusing on the fact that the members of the squad are DSA members. They are justice Democrats and they are not following the principles of either one of those organizations. And one of the principles is that you are not supposed to be a strike breaker. You are supposed to support the worker strikes. They have now broken that. I don't know how much more they need to get wrong for people to wake up. Like, I really don't like force the vote. I thought was going to be the big mask off moment, but that wasn't the big mask off moment for some people. Then voting for the Iron Dome, then choosing to go against the Palestinian led movement, which, again, is one of the principles that they are supposed to back under Justice Democrats and DSA. So how many more things do they need to do for people to wake up and realize they have completely sold out? Right, right. And um I, earlier in your uh, YouTube video, um, you mentioned about uh, the Boston neighborhoods. And um, I, I don't know if you're familiar with New Kids on the Block. Are you familiar with them? I'm very familiar with them. I have seen them <laughs> multiple. I've seen them like four or five times in concert. Okay. Okay. So um, I actually went to one of their concerts and Donnie is the sweetest person you could ever meet. And he came from a neighborhood in called Dorchester. I'm not familiar with that area, but Dorchester, is that a yeah. poor area? Yes and no. Um, part of Dorchester has been gentrified today, but mm. back during the time when he grew up in Dorchester, yeah, it was typically like working class or poor neighborhood. Yeah. Right, right. And um, he has a brother named Mark Wahlberg. And among the New Kids on the Block fans, he's viewed as a racist which he is, Mark Warburg, he's a racist. And um, that's just, I'm just another example of how you can grow up in the same family poor Mm -hmm. and then become rich, but it doesn't change who you are. So that was just kind of an aside. (laughs) That's right. No, that's a hundred percent. Yeah. Marky Mark had, um, he actually tried to get a pardon here in Massachusetts because of one of the like, one of the uh, attack. Actually, today, what he did would probably be considered a hate crime. We didn't have that back uh, back then at right. that time. But um, yeah, he he was like racist. Now, keep in mind, like he became Marky Mark, and he was a rapper, and the Funky Bunch were black guys, but he was still racist. Right. So that just, sh- and then he he worked his way up to. Um, be a millionaire and it's kind of, but it's kind of like but his character i feel is very suspect like he's trying to ask for a pardon now just kind of like you should own up to your racist behavior because i'm i'm asian and um his behavior and influence a bunch of my bullies actually like they try to be just like him so it's it's kind of like, yeah, just because you're poor doesn't mean and you become rich doesn't mean you're a good person. So I just wanted to, that's just an aside. So 
and I see a line, so um, I'm going to hang up. So thank you. Thank you so much for calling in, Brent. Well said. Right, thank you. Okay, we are bringing in Karthik. Hey, Karthik, what's you what's up? Uh, well, we mentioned the Justice Democrats, and I think the Justice Democrats sold their principles a long time ago for celebrity, so that's not happening anytime soon. <laughs> I hear um, you. I hear you. But so in terms of Ryan Gibbs, unfortunately, I haven't seen the video that with uh, Shama Sawant. Did you say that, that you had an interview today with the uh, strike workers or the, 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 the rail workers today? Yeah, I interviewed them tonight um, on YouTube. And then but earlier today, uh, Bree had published uh, a video on bad faith where it was her, Shama Sawant and Ryan Grimm debating this very same issue about whether the squad or not acted in good faith. And Ryan Grimm was just really trying to defend the squad and, and base it on the number of uh, he was looking more like at logistics, like, well, you know, they already had the votes anyway. And, and to that point, like I said, if it was already going to pass in the House anyway to prevent them from going on strike, then they most definitely should have voted against it because it still would have passed. You vote for your principles. You vote for your beliefs. You don't vote. Because that's the way that someone told you to vote. And that was the other thing that came out in that debate. Well, this is what they were told to do. And I think what Ryan Grimm was missing is what was the assignment that they were given when they went to D.C.? The assignment that they were given as Justice Democrats was to take over the Democratic Party. It was supposed to be a hostile takeover. And they were supposed yeah, to push back Tea against Party. the corporate. Exactly. That was the strategy. This has been explained multiple times, whether it's been on Secular Talk, Humanist Report, TYT, etc. And it's all in writing, too. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've read the Justice Democrats website many times. Um, I was one of the first donors. But so in terms of Ryan Grimm, um, so like I, I know like there's like reasons to have like to hear Matt and have him on your show, but I really don't know what the point. And I think that's not for him, but just like for him, but like many journalists as well. Like I don't see the point of like even taking what he has to say seriously because it's well known at this point that Ryan Grimm and you know other people as well, but like uh, Ryan Grimm in particular has like direct access to the squad. It seems like he can talk to AFC uh, whenever he wants to. Mm-hmm. So. It seems like he's he's always going to protect his um, access and his class interests, or you know, and, and he's the uh, DC bureau chief of the Intercept, so he has these interests that he has to, you know, check off. You know, like a checkbox, he has to, he has to make sure that he's doing what he has to do for his class interests, but also he has his like access that he wants to protect to the progressives in Congress. So I, I don't see the, what the point is in taking him seriously because because whenever he says something we know what like his um, ulterior motives are. Right. I think the reason why people still bring him on is because he is one of the few people that has access to members of the squad. And that's how we get information from him. Right. Because like they don't, they're not giving access to other independent media for the most part. Like they don't even come on to TYT like anymore since like, like they've won. So it's, it's really, it's really upsetting. And like, honestly, like, it's like the only way we can get through to any of them in the house, anyone that is considered a progressive is Rokana. He's the only one that's willing to come on. The other ones are not willing to come on. So I think that's why people bring Ryan Grimm on because they ask him like, okay, what is the scoop? 
with the way that they voted about this. That was the same thing that happened during Force the Vote. Is there a scoop, though? It just seems like they're doing jack shit and all they want to do is protect their class interests. You know, they they, they want to get their book deals and their uh, pension, their lifelong pension and stuff. So it seems like their motives at this point are very obvious. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point, too. It's just really hard because it's like, I have a duty, like for my job, I have a duty. I have to explain to the audience, like, why did they do what they did? Why did they vote a certain way, right? Now, I think at this point in the game, most of the people that watch me have just, they know how the squad is. They get it now. But I get new subscribers every day. And I get emails and DMs from people every day, new people who said, wow, I didn't know this about AOC. I didn't know that so-and-so was doing this. And so for me, it's just, it's frustrating. Like, cause I'm trying to explain to people like, listen, the squad has been sold out. Jimmy Dore was right. As much as some people can't stand Jimmy Dore, he was right. And it's okay to admit that. And I think it's what's really upsetting to me is when I see people like Ryan Grimm continue to defend them, Karthik, and continue to run cover, he is actually doing us more harm when he does that because he is giving them protection. And as long as they are protected, a lot of the people who are still a part of organizations like DSA that still stand for the squad, they'll continue to believe that they are doing the best that they can. That's why it's frustrating when I hear people like Ryan Grimm do that. And he doesn't even miss a beat. The moment they get criticism on Twitter, boom, here comes Ryan Grimm. Here comes Ryan Grimm. And I have to ask, like, are you a journalist? Well, he's protecting his access. Like, it's well done that he has, like, a direct access to AOC and other people in Congress. But that tells you something about the other politicians, because... Like I said, like I've been very critical of Rokana. I was critical of him when I interviewed him. Rokana will still come on to independent media, even though he knows most of us are going to chew him out. Like, I'm just I'm just being honest, um, but he'll still come on. And it, it's it's it says something about those individuals. If they can't take tough questions, if they can't handle any type of criticism, then maybe they shouldn't be a politician. But for yeah, them yeah. to be tied behind Ryan Grimm all the time, it's disgusting. Uh, and just to be clear, like I, I, I think it's important to explain the politicians' motives. I, I just meant specifically for Ryan Grimm. It just seems like that guy's like always self-censoring himself just to make sure that it doesn't hurt his career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, uh, good talk, Sabi. Hope to, yeah, talk to you later. Thank you so much, Karthik. Okay, we are bringing in Robin. Robin, I'm sure you have a lot to say about this. (laughs) Yeah, I have a lot to say, but I'm not going to say a lot because I know you've got a lot of people coming behind me. But what I will do first off before I get started is just confess um, because uh, I missed part, you know, part of your show because Brianna's video was so on fire. I did listen to her call in and not look at your video until after I, you know, listened to her calling for a while. So I will confess that I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Oh, no worries. (laughs) Okay. But, you know, I mean, I listened to uh, Brianna's video. 
video and everything and then I'm I'm sorry not the video the audio the podcast and then I looked at it online and I just cannot get over Ryan Grimm it's I I don't get him I don't get him at all because he is how do I say this He's acting like he's naive and he's not naive. And that's what angers me about how he, you know, goes on these uh, podcasts and stuff and tries to defend the squad. You know, as Mm -hmm. as I've told you, I don't have a dog in this fight. I uh, consider myself a libertarian, but even more so, I consider myself also to be somebody who is intellectually honest And, and to listen to him not be honest about what's going on. Like you said, everybody knew this thing was going to fail. So why didn't they just vote no against it from the beginning when they already knew that they had enough votes to pass it? I don't understand why he continues to carry this flag. For what? I don't understand that. That is what's killing me about him. I don't get it. Well, Ryan Grimm works for The Intercept, right? The Intercept is owned by billionaires. Yeah. Okay. Okay, I get that. But then even then, and, and, you know, this is me putting on my tinfoil hat or whatever, you know, so I look at breaking points and all of this type of stuff or whatever. So when this, this whole thing started first going down, you know, Crystal did her one little video and then that was it. And then after that, it was uh, Ryan and that girl, Emily, or whatever her name is. And he started selling that same, I'm going to say it, I think it's a lie. He started selling that same thing about, oh, well, this is what the union people wanted. This is what they wanted. I'm going, this doesn't make any sense. And you haven't heard Crystal say anything about it after that. Why is, you know. Well, I'm just going to interject really quick i haven't i don't watch breaking points i stopped watching them because their foreign policy takes were absolutely hard right. um but I, I will say that crystal may not say anything because it wasn't too long ago that crystal said we need to have the Demo- we need to vote for the democratic party because they're the ones protecting labor rights and then this happens right right <laughs> <laughs> you're right i mean but it's just so it, i mean it's just, it's just infuriating to me because, you know, I can disagree with you and disagree with other people all day long, but just be consistent and be honest. And the fact that he just refuses to just acknowledge what everybody is looking at, you know, in their faces that this person is saying one thing on Twitter and doing something totally different in Congress this is a problem and he cannot for whatever reason form his mouth to say that just drives me insane and so i know like unfortunately like i wasn't able to be on the stream on rbn when ryan Grimm came on because i was i was actually in a meeting so i wasn't able to attend that but if i would have attended that the thing that i would say to ryan Grimm is the fact that Ryan, you need to ask yourself what, again, what was the task that was assigned to Justice Democrats when they went into D.C.? 
And then you will understand why people are saying, yes, they need to be removed from DSA. They need to be removed from Justice Democrats. Like to be honest, like both organizations, they need to go. They're not following the principles. I mean, it's just like, this is with anybody. This is with anybody, like any organization. Like if you're a part of an organization and there's certain principles and you're not upholding those principles, you would need to go. I absolutely agree with you. And like I said, I don't have a dog in this fight. I mean, I mean, when I say I don't have a dog in this fight, I do stand with the workers in this in that, you know, if, you know, from a libertarian perspective, I don't think that that law that gives, you know, Congress or the, the, the president the right to override the strike thing should even exist. So I stand with the workers from that perspective, but it's just so ridiculous. And I will say, I'm so happy that RBN, um, you know, uh, was called out by that, uh, I, forgive me if I say her name wrong, the Schwammer lady, you know, she called you guys out and everything. I oh, Shama Suwan. Yes. I love that she called you guys out and that, you know, she gave you guys a shout out and everything because you deserve it. And, and like, um, I was listening to RBN earlier this, uh, uh, this afternoon and how Nick was saying is like, you know, I can't believe that we were actually more civil to Ryan than, than she was, (laughs) you know, because it was just so insane, the stuff that he was saying, you know? And so, um, Shout out to you guys, but you know, I have to say, I don't know if he deserves that same level of civility if he comes back on you guys network again. I don't know. I I hope you guys give him that same level of civility, but mm-hmm. does he deserve it? I don't think so. This I I I don't. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I try to I try to be firm, but I don't know. I, I try to be respectful but firm. Um, so I, I try to be professional, like when I have guests on, whether I agree with them or not. Right. Um, but I totally get what you're saying with this one. Cause like now he's just doubling down and this is just ridiculous. Like I've never seen Shama Sawant that angry though, too. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know her from Adam. I mean, I have family in the Seattle area or whatever, but you know that, I mean, th- again, I don't know her personally and I don't know her politics other than like, you know, you guys say that she's a socialist or whatever. And so uh that's that but i mean but at least she is very consistent with her beliefs that's what i uh, respect be consistent and he is so not consistent and it just drives me insane and so i'm just gonna go from there and uh just say thank you for having my call thank you thank you so much robin Thank you so much for that. Yes. Uh, oh, God, Ryan Grimm. Oh, boy. And this is not to say that we don't respect like someone's journalistic work. This is not to say that. This is to say it's a little sus when every time they are critiqued, here you come to run cover. Let's go ahead and bring in Terry time. You are on the mic. Just have to unmute. Hi. Hi, Shabby. Hey, how are you? I'm doing good. Um, hey, I did watch your uh, interview with the uh, Railway Workers United, and that story of Matt, when he was talking about his wife, I just lost it. I mean, I started crying, and I was like, you were 
pulled your shit together really well. <laughs> but I was just like, you know, those personal stories are really what moved me. And it was just like, that was devastating to hear that. Yeah, I, I will say um, that was a surprise for me too. I, um, I was very like, I guess I would say I was, I was somewhat shocked. Um, at the same time, part of me was not shocked because I've had a coworker before where like her father passed away and, and this is when I was working at MIT, her father passed away and the faculty member that she supported told her that, no, you can't take the time off. We need you here. So it's like, yeah. I've, I've seen this before. It's, it's very sad, but it's, it's just such a, <sighs> there's so much exploitation with the workers. It really is. And like, people have bills to pay so they don't want to leave their job because then they can't pay their bills unless they have another job line. Yeah. You know, I, you know, one of the things like zooming way out, like, you know, what's causing this, you know, hedge funds, you know, owning, you know, quite a bit of like the railway system now and how they're just nip and tucking. And then I think about like the healthcare system, hedge funds. I think about like, you know, um, housing, you know, hedge funds buying up all this shit. You know, and it's just like, just the whole system is so corrupted to just crush us. And I mean, on the positive side, it's like, I wish these people would, would strike. I mean, you know, it, it just, I know we probably have a ways to go, but it just feels like there's so many, so many of us out here that are so unsatisfied. And, you know, I know that like, if you look at like what the Biden administration did with the trucker strike in Canada, what they do with this, you know, Whenever it's something to deal with with transportation, they mm -hmm. shut this down really quickly. And I think we're a lot closer than we know. If one just one domino falls, I think quite a bit might happen. And you know, I'm just watching this, and I'm just like, I know these guys, you know, are are ground down, and I know that like a lot of them are just leaving. It's like, why don't they just strike? Why don't they just wildcat strike? I mean, I think there's so much of the country that's asking for this right now more than we even realize yeah i think the best thing for them at this point would be to quit and then just because i, I did ask them about striking tonight and i want to reiterate this for people just joining uh they did tell me tonight that they did vote to strike so when ryan Grimm says no they didn't want to go on strike you guys heard tonight they said they did vote to strike so this is why i'm so it's this so confusing like the information that has been coming out. And this is why I just wanted to talk to the workers. I didn't want to talk to Ryan Grimm. I didn't want to talk yeah. to any other journalist or commentator. I wanted to actually hear from them. And I think what this has taught them and maybe many other people, other workers as well, is that at the end of the day, the politicians are not here to help the workers. The workers have to help each other. And you can do that by unionizing if you're not a part of a union. But you see, they were a part of a union and they put these uh, clauses in these these uh, agreements to where they can't go on strike, even though they're a part of a union, which is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, I think there should be some type of push for that to get them to change that railroad worker uh, agreement of the 1920s. That needs to change. That needs to be amendment. It's 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 just ridiculous. How do you work 365 days a year with no paid sick? I know, I know. It's yeah. yeah. You're talking to a contractor right now. So and there's like one third of the U.S. workforce are contractors. So you know we're watching this stuff and we're like secretly, not secretly, but you know like come on, you know let's do a wildcat strike. 
because I think a lot of people are very frustrated now. I wanted to move on. I did listen to uh, 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 Bad Face the entire, and that was a fiery conversation. What Ryan Grimm, like, you know, you can try to pick him apart, but I just think he's full of, uh, full of shit. You know, it's like, it's like, it reminds me of when he was having it out with Jimmy Dore. You know, Jimmy Dore would make, you know, you know, points. And I understood that. Like, why don't you force to vote? And then Ryan Grimm would come back with just all this gobbledygook. It was like the Charlie Brown teacher, like, wah, 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 wah. You know, and it was just felt like the whole time with the conversation on bad faith was that he was just trying to somehow win by like a technical point or something. It was so stupid. It's like, are you with the workers or are you not? And as far as Sawant, when she said the F word, I love that. I mean, she was she was full of fire. She has fire in her belly, and I, I, I find that very, I love that. And I think that's because Shama Sawant, from day one, has stood with the workers. Like she, oh yeah, she oh. been a. It was really interesting to me how he tried to explain to her how labor works, and so she had to tell him, well, first of all, <laughs> I've been a part of labor movements. She was a part of the fight for fifteen in Seattle. For yeah. people who are not yeah, aware. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, I mean, She's it's so just, honest. you. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Like, you, you can't get that. You can't go on there. I don't feel like he was prepared for that debate. Like, you can't go on there and try to gaslight uh, someone who has been a part of labor movement. You just cannot do that. And it was really weird to me, like, that one part when Bree said, she was like, am I, she said, am, am I losing it or am I, you know, when you when they talk to a point yeah. where they get to like question yourself like am i losing it or like am i not seeing things correctly that's gaslighting and that's exactly what ryan grimm was doing he was trying to gaslight people and i'm like are you seriously trying to sit here and say that because they already had enough votes for it the past the squad should not be held accountable for the fact that they are strike breakers that they voted against uh allowing these workers to have a strike that goes against everything that justice Democrats stand for. It's disgusting. And what makes it worse is that Rashida Tlaib did the right thing. So how do they even explain that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't have much faith in our government anymore. I really feel like it's going to come from the labor movement, you know, so I might get a little bumpy yeah. out there. Um, one thing I want to note at the very end of uh, uh, Bad Faith, uh, that Bad Faith conversation, you know what the outro song was that she played? What was she it? Played, she played Crazy Train by Ozzy Osbourne. It was that, because I was like, that whole conversation was like, you know, it was just like, it was like gobbledygook to me. Like he was just like, blah, 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 you know, and it's just like, you're talking down to people that are really involved in the labor movement. What are you doing? You know? And once again, are you with the workers or are you not? You know, mm-hmm. and obviously he's not, you know, so gosh darn it. Jimmy Dore is right again, even though I'm sometimes on the edge about that boy, you know, he's, he comes around every time. I yeah, no, it's true. Like Jimmy Dore was right about the squad after four like he was right about them after force the vote yep yeah yeah so oh well i should let you go i would think you do a lovely job i really like you do a wonderful job thank you so much terry yeah you got it have a good night you too all right i'm going to bring in 
CR. You are on the mic. Hey, Shappy, how you doing? Hey, how are you? How are you <laughs> feeling about all this? <laughs> Ooh, buddy. You know me. I got a couple thoughts. Uh, I think, though, I'm pretty close. I think I almost got my punch card for, like, isn't this my, about my tenth appearance? I should be getting a free sub, right? Anybody? Free sub? No? <laughs> a free sub? I don't even keep up with those things. Uh, no, I just say, like, I, I, I should get a punch card for how many times I've been on your your call-in show now at this point. <laughs> oh, that would be a cool thing. <laughs> Get a free sub. Um, anyways, <laughs> I'm just, I'm being silly. But uh, um, yeah, I had a couple of thoughts. I, I you know me, I'm spaghetti brain as hell. So I just kind of give myself a few bullet points here. So I've got uh, inside baseball, sold out or bought in. Motives and just voting no is not enough. So these are kind of quick little uh, four ideas I wanted to touch on really quickly. First one being inside baseball. Now, you know, I've, I've been listening to you all kind of like, oh, Ryan Grimm this, Ryan Grimm that, you know, and why does he say this? Why did he say that? Uh, the thing that's very obvious to me, and it's, I'm sure if you think about it for a second too, have you noticed that that's what he's always doing? He's always coming at the thing from the angle of inside baseball. Like, hold on here. Let me tell you. See, you don't understand. I'm the smart guy. Let me show you how all the pieces actually fit into the bigger puzzle. And this is why they couldn't do this yet. And if they draft, and then, oh, their, their relief pitcher, their arm was hurting, so they had to use the other relief. You know what I mean? Like, it's always kind of matter-of-factly <laughs> matter of trying to tell you why what you're upset about is not right because you don't understand the inside baseball. You know what I, I mean? Love the, I love the sports analogy, by the way. <laughs> I totally you, get that. <laughs> it makes it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And, and then now think about every time you see him coming out of the woodwork. Uh, um, and the reason why I bring this up because that's what I see. And so, in, in my attempt to try to find humanity anywhere, I don't think of it so much. I, I, what he is doing effectively, yes, is always playing, uh, 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 you know, goalie, gatekeeper, you know, uh, captain, save a captain, save a squad, <laughs> of course. But I don't think that that's the way he thinks about it. And so I think when he hears y'all kind of say, oh, you're just doing this. You're always fucking standing up for the squad and pissing on the worker. I don't think he honestly thinks that that way. I don't think he's trying to, in his mind, protect his uh, contacts. He doesn't have to. You know what I mean? Um, by his very nature, he is where he is. You know what I mean? You don't get to that level by coloring outside of the lines when you're a kid, right? Mm -hmm. It's a long, it's a long process of grooming these people for the positions that they're in. You don't get to DC bureau chief without being the type of individual that they are. You don't have to sit the person down in the smoke filled room and say, all right, buddy, here's what we're going to do. You're going to be the goalie for AOC. And anytime anybody criticizes her, you got to jump in to get, he was hired to that job because that's what he does instinctively. You get it? That's right. That's right. So this is the problem. This is why we have to stop ascribing so much to the individual and understand that it's a system. It's a system that that has such a but you almost have to respect respect the the the, the, the self preservation of the system, how uh, 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 um, elegant and vicious that it is. You know what I mean? This is a system that it doesn't matter who you plug into the individual pieces. You notice that? Who you take and who you take, put in and take out. 
the system continues to do what it does. And so these people get put into these positions, not because of who they are and who they protect or who they're willing to swear a fealty to, they would never got there to begin with. So I think that for my other bullet point, motives. I think we are ascribing too much and doing ourselves in turn in a version of inside baseball to try to ascribe motives to everything that these individuals are doing. Mm. We have to look more, I think, at a bigger holistic picture of like, this is what they're designed to do. And so every time that we go out there and go, oh, he's just in it for this. He's in it for the access. I think they hear that and they go, no, I'm not. And then all of his, his humanist report, you know, Sam Cedars, TYTs, they, we criticize them. We say that's all you do is defend the squad and doesn't matter if you're on the right side of policy. Then they go, that's not what we're doing. We're not, we're not just blindly trying to protect our access because they don't realize that they're in a way a victim of the system too. Now, I'm not dismissing the things that they do because ultimately, <laughs> what does it end up doing? What, you know, how does it uh, affect policy and public discourse? We can see that what it does. So everything that you guys have been saying up to this point, I agree with, and that is the functional outcome. But I think that we are doing ourselves a little bit of disservice by trying to ascribe too much motive to the individual. And they won't ever hear us in return. And they're going to put up their defenses and continue to play harder inside baseball because they're going to hear you and go, you've got it wrong. You don't know me. You don't know what I'm doing. You did. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. And you just highlighted again the problem that we have with the system. And that's, mm -hmm. that's a big part of the problem. And I think this is why you, you brought up an awesome point about it doesn't really matter who the person is because someone like Ryan Grimm could leave and they'll just put someone else back into that same system that will continue to do the same thing. Uh, the people who refuse to play that game are either removed or they're kind of pushed out. And I, I want to remind everyone, you know, Ryan Grimm, writes for The Intercept, uh, once upon a time, uh, so did Glenn Greenwald. Why did Glenn Greenwald end up leaving The Intercept? Because they would not let him publish the Hunter Biden story. Exactly. So you see what I mean? There's a reason why Ryan's still there and Glenn is not. Yeah, because the immune system kicked in of the machine, the system. And I know when you talk about in this kind of grandiose kind of terms, people tend to roll their eyes. They start looking around at their cell phone. They're like, all right, what is this guy babbling on about? But that is actually the more important part than just saying, I'm mad at Ryan Groom because he's not backing up the workers. Or, oh boy, look how unprepared he was for that interview or that debate with Shama Sawat, right? Yes, all those things, they're true to a certain extent, but they don't further our understanding and our ability to, to uh, uh, drive public discourse and get a head of these individuals. Now, once we start thinking about them as not just being greedy people that are out to protect their job and protect their access, and we start to understand the system that they're in and the power that they're able to, uh, uh, you know, uh, actuate and affect from their position and how we can counter that, because it's like you say, you know, it's, it's, it's obvious every time the AOC does something, start trending on Twitter, a bunch of people are criticizing her. Why did she fund the Iron Dome? Da, da, da. And he comes swooping in. Well, actually, da, 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 da. let me tell you, the, you know what I mean? And we go, oh, damn you. Always, you know, try to play, you know, save a politician. But that isn't affecting our ability to get ahead of these narratives. And we're always able to be dismissed as a fringe group that is just angry, that thinks everybody, oh, hey, look at those crazy lefties over there. They think everybody sells out. They think everybody's bought and paid for. You know what I mean? 
And since they do this on the regular by calling people, oh, what do you see? You being paid by Putin? What are you paid by the Kremlin? Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to see that and they're going to recognize it. And they're like, oh, I use that smear tactic all the time. I do this kind of crazy shit all the time. So it's like crazy pointing out crazy. You have crazy has to know crazy in order to call out crazy. Right. So in their mind, they've already made up their mind. Yep. Those people are crazy over there. I'm not that person. I'm not Captain Save a politician. I'm just playing inside baseball over here. And it only really sounds like a distinction. It only really sounds like a distinction without a point. But really, it is the point of that we're able to get around this kind of talking points very easily once you realize that's the game. It's not the individual. It's the system you're fighting against. It doesn't. Ryan Grimm is a fucking Lego character. Just like they made fun of him with his Lego hair. That's actually apropos. <laughs> that's actually apropos because, again, you could just interchange the Lego characters. I pop this, the fucking toupee off this Lego character and I put it on another one. And then there you go, back into the system. What matters, I think, is the system. <laughs> you know, I'm, I, 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 <laughs> I'm laughing because at the Lego character. You've seen the picture of the Lego hair. Now. It is, it is kind of creepily close. I have. I have. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I, I know, I know I won't belabor that point any longer, but just like, I just, I feel like we do ourselves a little bit too a, a disservice when we start to try to play into their inside baseball too. And they can always feel superior and they're always going to think, well, you're the crazy ones on the fridge, you know? Uh, That's uh, a good point. Like, That's exactly what they do too. They'll yeah. say that um, we're secret right wingers. They'll say that exactly. we're Putin puppets, which I have never praised Putin ever. <laughs> They'll say that we're any any type of smear they can throw at us just to get us to be quiet um, or to get us to go away because they don't want us to criticize, you know, these 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 politicians. And I got news for you guys. I'm going to cover this tomorrow. I got news for you. Democratic Party is already trying to make it so that third party candidates can't run in 2024. I saw them. I saw that clip there. I think it was a like case or something like that tweeted out that clip. Yep. Yeah, I was like, ah, boy, we are just in the realm of saying the quiet part out loud now. Y'all are taking a, a tip right yep. out of the Trump playbook. <laughs> They're like, hey, we live in the, you know, it's like a, um, like Jimmy and other people have said, you know, that used to be you had the CIA guy that would bribe or, you know, do his little backhanded deals with the journalists to feed their CIA bullshit into think Now the fucking CNN, MSNBC, they just bring the CIA analysts right in there. And they tell you, this guy fucking, this is a spook. He's, his whole job is to lie to you and deceive you. <laughs> you know what I mean? And undermine your, uh, uh, you know, your freedom, your democracy, your, your autonomy, you know, your right to uh, privacy. And then you, everybody just kind of goes, oh, he works for the CIA. He must be an expert. It's like, no, what the fuck are you doing? We're not supposed to be buying any of this shit. You know what I mean? Like, but yet here we are. Mm -hmm. So I, I, again, this is the same thing too. My last point that I, that I, uh, my bullet point was just voting no is not enough. Now, I heard a couple of people say earlier, and I think you also said with, that we need to, I mean, we already had the votes. Why didn't they just vote no anyways? Vote your conscience. Don't play this, again, stupid inside baseball thing like AOC. Well, we wanted to keep it alive to see if we could get this, the seven days in there and whatever bullshit. And we all fucking play into it. We sit here on call and we go, oh, man, why didn't they just vote no? Like they're, con you know, gee fucking scabs, and I'm going to say, that's, we're playing their game again. That's bullshit. No, just voting, no, what, what, no. Why didn't instantly the whole squad, as soon as the Democratic, uh, as soon as the, the House is like, we're going to bring up this vote, why didn't they all say, fuck no, we're not, no, pro we're protesting now. We're calling out our own leadership. 
That's the thing that really actually pisses me off. Not that they didn't vote yes, no, or the other thing. Why didn't they call Nancy Pelosi out immediately as soon as she said she was going to bring this to the floor for a vote? That's the standard. Not the like, oh, why didn't they at least vote their conscience? No, fuck you. Why weren't you out there on the floor filibustering, doing everything, protesting, getting on the fucking cameras and going, like, this is not right. We should not be in a democratic society telling these people that they cannot collectively bargain or they cannot strike. That's they didn't right. say any of that shit. And so we're sitting here going like, oh, well, at least fuck Rashida Tlaib. She didn't say shit. Where was the fucking interview with her on C-SPAN or fucking anybody else, MSNBC saying, you know, the Democratic fucking leadership has got their fucking heads up their ass. That's mm-hmm. what I needed to see as a bare minimum. And I didn't even get that. So when we get sit here and go like, why didn't they vote this way? Why that way? Again, we're missing the fucking forest for the trees. I mean, sorry, I hate to get so fucking animated, but it really pisses me off because we're allowing them to always frame the situation. We need to take over framing of this shit. That's a good point, CR. Uh, Case, you're here. Uh, You just have to unmute. I want to get your take on this case because I know, (laughs) had it not been for Case's uh, clips, (laughs) I'm telling you, like Case knows a lot (laughs) about this um, as well. Um, I want to get your take on this case because like I did interview some of the railroad workers tonight and Mm -hmm. they were saying something different compared to what Ryan Grimm said. In Mm -hmm. fact, they told us tonight that they actually did vote to go on strike. Mm, Yeah. So it's definitely uh, interesting that people are kind of cherry picking different (laughs) things to go with their narrative and much love to you. Much love to the chat as well. Um, and, and man, I, I've been learning so much the last couple of days with, oh, from this railroad strike has been in itself a very big learning experience on strategy and what we need to do moving forward. And I know it's, you know, it seems like we pretty much, uh, lost this race, but I, I want people to start focusing on the future. And to just think about how in two years we're going to be back here again. So let's, instead of, um, you know, I love the fact that we're calling out Ryan. I love the fact that Brie had, man, Shama is awesome, man. She just like embodied (laughs) everything that I was thinking and she really gave the fight to him. But I also got to give credit to Ryan because he gave his point of view. He got called out. I think he's going to learn. I'm hoping at least he's going to learn from the exchange and maybe have a different approach moving forward. And 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 the 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 main point is that it's not only not only is it the politicians that's failing us. It's also the media covering the politician that's supposed to push them to the to the right position that we want. So I think I'm hoping that he's learning that hey we're we're putting the heat on you now we're 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 finding out all the where all the pressure points are we're finding out where the leaks are in the boat and we're going to put a plug in it we're going and and until we get the system and society that we want we're going to slowly uh collaborate and, and and get there one day um yeah thank you so much for having me on Saps appreciate you thanks so much for that case. I have, a, I have a little quick, little quick addendum to that. And I, here's a thing that I think that people need to dis- disavow themselves of right now. Ryan Graham didn't get owned in anything at all. He's doing exactly what I'm sure he intended to do. This is me, you know, reading into things. So I'm going a little conspiratorial here. But from my perspective, 
he knows that he can stay calm. This is another reason also to do with Rokana. Notice Rokana is one of the only ones that always goes on. And what does he always do? He always stays calm. So by contrast, especially in clips, especially little clips taken out of, especially would be easy to do with me if I were interviewing any of them. It'd be really easy to take a clip out where I'm fucking yelling, waving my arms, and they're sitting there calmly, and then they respond calmly. It was one of the things that I really appreciated about Nick's approach when they when when you guys had Ryan Grimm on, was he just sat back and asked very short, easy questions and just gave him enough rope to hang himself. You know what I mean? And to me, that is the best way to counter that. Because Ryan doesn't matter if he loses the debate in our eyes, because we're already on this side of the quote-unquote echo chamber. It's the other people that already believe, that the shit libs that already believe in his BS, when they see his ability to sit there calmly in the face of us losing our shit, it's always going to look, it doesn't matter what he says. It doesn't matter if what he says is correct. If he looks calmer and more intelligent mm-hmm. and more thoughtful, he's going to win. So to everybody here that's listening to this right now, I know this sounds like I'm scolding y'all, but get this shit out of your fucking head that he's getting owned and he's getting held to the, his feet to the fire. It doesn't matter if his ideas win. He just needs to look more sane, calm, and intelligent. This is exactly why, and someone was asking me this um, on a recent call-in show. This is exactly why when I interview guests, I don't yell at them. Now, when it's just me by myself, and I'm just going off, that's totally different. But when I interview a guest, I try to keep my cool, don't lose my temper. I'll still push back on them, but I have to, I I know exactly what CR is talking about. It is true. The way other people may view it, for example, people who don't know who any of us are, um, if they were to, to see that exchange, they're gonna look at the person who's remaining calm they're going to hold them in a certain light. And then they're going to look at the people who are kind of, you know, angry and upset or yelling, and they're going to see them as being irrational or not being able to keep their cool. And especially if, and I said this last time, especially if you're black, if you're black, like I have to be very careful about that. Like I didn't agree with half the things Andrew Yang said, but I pushed back on him, but I didn't yell at him. You know, look at what happened when Sam Cedar and Bree had the debate about forced the vote. Right after the debate, Sam Cedar went onto Twitter and basically called her the angry black woman. I just about to say it's such an easy card to play. Yeah. So it's like, and, and yeah. I know that like growing up, like we'll call it growing up black. That is something that you learn along the way. You, we have to be careful how we push back on people versus you know, a, a, a white guy can lose his shit like that. People might look at him kind of loony too, but they'll still give him the benefit of the doubt. If a black person does that, there is no benefit of the doubt for you. You're done. You got one shot. Eminem was right. You only get one shot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you get one shot. This is it. <laughs> so you, you got to do it the right time. And especially if it's someone's first impression of you. Um, but I think... You know, well, Bree and Ryan, they already know each other anyway. At one point, he was her boss. So I think it's a little bit uh, different with that situation. But that being said, you have a point in the sense that even though Shama Sawant and Bree were correct with what they were saying, 
somebody else can look back at that, particularly other politicians per se, and they can see Ryan for the most part, well, Ryan wasn't as calm this time, but Ryan for the most part being the more calm one. And you're right, like when when Nick and CJ and Rome interviewed him on RBN, they were they were 100% calm. Like that's the thing. Like you this is something like I think as black people we are very conscious of this uh as to how we may come across if we're interviewing someone stuff like that. For example, when I interviewed Andrew Yang and I told him, you know, if you have a party that doesn't have policies, people may see this as a grift. I said that very calmly. Who yeah. lost their cool? Andrew did. So I would love I would have loved Andrew <laughs> if you just laid into his ass right there too. Like I was like Get it. But then at the same time, I'm going like, ah, she can't, though, because mm-hmm. then we lose we lose the narrative too easily. Mm-hmm. It's it, it ah, man. It's I, I wish I wish I, 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 at the at the risk of mansplaining just a bit more. If you'll if you'll forgive me, this is the Trump thing too as well. You know, uh, 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 um, he put the ugly face on empire. <laughs> I mean, Biden isn't really he's con- continuing so many of Trump's policies and. So many mm-hmm. other politicians have, and the the main objective of shit libs and quote unquote polite society is more his crudeness, his bombasticness. You know what I mean? That kind of shit was more the thing that they're really upset about. They're not upset about any of the military shit he did, killing Soleimani, so on and so forth. You know what I mean? Occupy Syria to get the oil. It's just like don't fucking do it, but don't say it, dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. That's the thing. That's the game that they play, unfortunately. In their realm, if you want to reach the shit lips outside of our lefty echo chamber, you have to, to a certain degree, understand that dynamic. Whether we agree with it, whether we think that it's right, and I think we should ultimately work to change that. But if you're looking to change minds of that group, of that demographic there, you just can't. You can't let them get you flustered. You can't let them get you angry. This is why I won't. <laughs> I wouldn't be a good interviewer of these people because I would get very angry and animated. But it, it sucks. It's bullshit. It's not the way that it should work. Just being polite shouldn't get you through the door. Having good policy should. But this is the fucking game that they play, and that's the only reason why I kind of like. I probably overly explain it. I'm sure a lot of people are going like, "Yeah, dude, duh, we know this." But it's. I think it is really worth emphasizing here. Sure. Go ahead. Can I ask you something real quick? Um, I think uh, uh, I think you might be looking at the glass half empty instead of half full. And um, think about it like this: you said people will look at that, and people will be turned off by, um, you know, uh, Kasama Sawant and uh, Bree being, being like raving lunatics out of control, or however they might see them. That I would say that that might be I can imagine the view crowd looking at that but those who are hurting are going might look at that and see oh yeah definitely who is this Ryan Grim Reaper guy you know what I'm saying like this guy this guy is 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 not with it or whatever the case is and they might look at Kashama Sawan and what Bree was saying and be like yeah I'm with them so it could work both ways you oh no! no, no that's I mean? why. That's that's why I emphasize that it, this is the shitload specifically. Uh, so yeah, maybe I didn't make that clear. But yeah, you're oh. you're a thousand percent right. You're a thousand percent right, Roger. I just meant speaking to that small group of people that might have turned tuned in 
to those things because they, they follow Ryan Grimm because they're shit libs that want to have their little inside baseball descriptions and stuff so they can feel good about vo- voting for fucking war pigs and fucking uh, you oh, know, well, uh, scabs. Oh, well, if that's no, the I, case, I, then, I, I, I say, who cares yeah, no, what I, they think? They're never going <laughs> to anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it, it, it but, don't matter. You know, be here's... angry, be mad. Well, I, I got, I got a little, got a, little, a little historical different point there, though. But here's why: racism was not any way cured or helped at all during the civil rights movement, right? We can, we can all agree it's still a giant fucking issue here in this country. It's just changed forms. But what happened during that time, when Martin Luther King and his followers and all those people remained calm and peaceful in the face of that violence? It changed the minds of even the most racist shit libs in the country. The white majority in the country saw those videos of the dogs being sicked on them, the fire hoses and the beatings. And even in their little fucking little racist, cul-de-sac living, fucking white shit lib minds, they couldn't get rid of the racism, but they also couldn't tolerate the, seeing the evil that they had wrought being put right in front of their faces. So you're not going to cure something. Yes, you're right. We're not going to fully change their minds, but we were able to get some of those people to come along to the other side and vote otherwise because they couldn't stand to see the evil that was put in front of them. The whole, you know, in their face. You get what I'm saying? So that peacefulness, that peacefulness in the face of that kind of stuff, changed minds in terms of how they were able to vote and how it was able to push stuff over the edge. You know, I mean, that was a very powerful message to see peaceful people staying calm in the face of brutal violence. I know it's a little bit of a gross oversimplification, but you get what I'm saying. Let's make sure, um, I want to make sure we and, oh, sorry, go ahead, Rod. Let's make sure we get um, Ashura a chance to speak, too. Yeah, but they still carry guns, too. Rosa Rosa Parks carried heat, and and Malcolm X and and, um, King still end up shot. And they were both, one was talking about, you know, I'm not going to let you put, my, put your hands on me. I don't care what you think. And then toward the end of his life, King started coming more toward Malcolm X anyway. You know what I mean? So it, it doesn't really matter, you know, like what, you know, like what they think or this or that or whatever the case is. You know, it's, 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 so I, I'm just saying like, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm getting to a part of my life where, um, you know, as you get older, you begin to get in the mindset. You don't give it. You don't give a damn what anybody thinks, or whatever the case is. You're just gonna do, do it the way you think it should be done, or whatever the case is. But oh, by the way, um, Sabrina, you can tell CJ happy birthday from a fellow Sagittarius. I will tell him that. I will tell him. Um, uh, Ashura, I want to get you in here too as well. Um, CR, were you finished? Because I want to go ahead and bring in uh, Tracy. Oh, sure. Yeah. Thank you very okay. much for taking my call. All right. Tracy, you are on the mic. And Ashura, you want to go ahead really quick and. Sure. Um, I, didn't, I didn't see the, the entire debate. I may have to watch it, but I, I expect them to basically jump on basically Ryan Grimm. Basically, two black women jumping on him. Um, I expect them to. Be, I expect them to keep his cool as he's getting stomped on. Uh, Ryan Grimm basically went on RBN. I didn't watch the full one, but I I saw how Rome. I, I think a bit. Well, since it was a three three v one, I think Rome was basically like the wild the wild dog in, in this thing, 
because Rome was wasn't letting out. He was not basically um, holding back his emotions on Ryan Grimm. So I feel like basically with the the debate, debate with uh, uh, Shama, Kashama Sawan and basically uh, Brianna Joy Gray, I feel like Brianna Joy Gray basically lashed out more than basically Kashama Sawan because she looked like she was uh, just sitting back and just enjoying the show, and then she would just every now and then pop out and say something. Well, no, uh, Shama Sawan did cuss at him. Um, (laughs) what did did she say? (laughs) She said, uh, hold on, let me pull it up because I have that. It looked like she looked like she looked more like the professional one, and Brie looked like, um, what did that guy said that finally she she he finally she finally woke up? Like, it seemed to me that she was really wanting to be the attack dog. This one, this one, no, did you watch the entire debate? No, no, I I saw clips clips of it. See, yeah, it gets way more heated at towards the end. Um, But yeah, Shama told him, see, this happens towards the end. She told him, she said, what the actual fuck? Really? I mean, she called him out. She was like, you are running cover for them. You're protecting them. And yeah, you know, Ryan, like every interview I've seen him do, he's he's pretty calm. But this one, he was not as calm. Because you, you actually have someone that basically has something like Toshama Sawan. She's faced Amazon. They tried to yep. kick her out. She's still standing. Like yep. she basically cut her salary in half yep. uh, to basically give out to basically to social attorney. But I don't know how much basically a salary is for a city councilwoman. But the fact that she's able to do that, it, I don't know how long she's been there, but she did able to stum- stomach to do that for most of your tenure. That takes will. Yeah, it does. I mean, but I mean, it's like, uh, again, it's like, like she said, like, I'm not going to take more than the average worker. You know, I wish like uh, we had more people doing that, actually. Uh, has Tracy. She, has she been smeared yet on Twitter? Huh? Has she been smeared yet? I don't think so. Um, Tracy, I want to bring you in here as well. Yes, ma'am. Hello, everybody. I feel like it's been a super long day because I <laughs> I watched the the interview and then I watched RBN and then I came in and um, so to answer your question though um, I don't think it was a debate I think you know so many people have been clear on Ryan didn't even really engage he just kept going back to his like two talking points. Um, and I saw so it was hard for me to have patience um, and bless Kashama's heart because I feel like she had a ton of patience. And I really don't get why Brie, you know, she often plays the devil's advocate, which is great for discussion, discourse, for teaching, for learning. That's the whole point of a podcast, a talk show. But in this case, it was so evident. And I just felt like, why is she what is she not getting? And then when she said that part about she's going crazy, that she feels like she's going nuts. When RBN was playing it back, CJ said, that's exactly it. That's gaslighting. And those are formal CIA strategies, like formal psychological strategies that people play with each other. It's mind games. And that's what he's doing. So I feel like he's totally an agent. It's very obvious, and 
I just, I don't have patience to even, I feel like this talking to him is pointless as far as moving on. And like Case was saying earlier to think about the future and what's next um, regarding strikes and unions. And I've been learning a lot. Um, And there's been, I feel like the reality is there's been a lot of public you know, discussion in these past eight years, six, eight years about what need about the the inequity and and inequality and what we need to do and how it's not right and how we sold our government to the corporations. And there's been like nothing that has changed for us. There's been some laws that have been passed like on a state level, but the feds, not only are they not going to do that, they're increasing their power by funding the state, by funding the police departments. We got robots in San Francisco. They're ready for us. They're getting ready for us because we were, we're even talking about going out in the street and striking and making these demands that are just basic and simple. They're so greedy. We can't even have that. And so I believe I wanted to get this right. I believe Matt, the worker that came on, said that Biden made it illegal to strike. And so then I think he said, and please tell me if I didn't get this right, because I want to know. So at this point, if they were to strike, then the railroad companies would sue them or, you know, take this really, you know, serious action against the workers right mind you this is this is scary for people i think you know all in the comments in the chatter is strike 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 this is terrifying for for workers in those positions to have to strike we're talking about livelihoods and being on the street and i really like your idea about the trans like a transportation coalition of a strike because that alone aside from a general strike, would shut the country down for sure. But again, even just with this week, what would happen and how they did and how the Biden administration didn't want to give those workers not shit and, you know, exercise their power. Um, it frightens me about going out into the streets. And I'd like to see us talk more about that as a collective and getting ready because I'm the peace and love lady and I bring a different kind of peace to revolution, but I understand the need for violence, but um, I'm afraid our people are just going to get killed like back in the day. You know what I mean? Well, we already are. Let's not, let me not say that. I'm afraid it's going to get really, really ugly. So that's, So I, for one, don't advocate for uh, violence. I think that what needs to happen is that we need to make enough noise so that we're heard to the point where mainstream media picks it up. See, that's how the George Floyd protests had mainstream media not pick that up. Would we have known that was happening all across the world? Nope. Wouldn't have known. So I think that's that's the big thing is like to get their attention. Now, it's it's not going to be easy. Um, but if you have enough people like protesting against this stuff, I mean, they even brought on I was surprised to see that railroad worker on CNN 
calling out Joe Biden. I was surprised that CNN even aired that, to be honest. Yeah. But see, nothing happened. We had millions of people in the streets that summer and nothing and, and things only got worse. They gave more money to the police. They're doing more stuff. So it's like as if none of that even moved anything. But the reason why nothing happened is because for whatever reason, a good portion of the protesters connected what was what happened to George Floyd as this happened under Trump's administration. Trump is at fault. That was not what it was about. Police brutality happens every day in this country, every day. And so when Joe Biden won and Chuck, um, Chuck Modi has, he documented a lot of this in D.C., the George Floyd protests. After Joe Biden won, Chuck Modi will tell you most of the protesters went home because they believed that because Trump was gone, the problem was solved. And that right there let me know that we still have a far way to go when it comes to educating people about the issues in this country. Because if for people to even believe that, then that tells me they really don't understand how police brutality works. And you notice a lot of these more um, police brutality cases that happened after Joe Biden won, they have not received as much coverage as uh, George Floyd did. Uh, I think the media really ramped that up because they were like, oh, look what's happening under Trump and he's not doing anything about it. You know what I mean? But where was that same, that same type of support for Amir Locke, for Jalen McMillan? It's rarely covered. I mean, like all these other cases are not getting that same type of coverage. And then also independent media isn't covering a lot of those situations either. I mean, like besides me, those of us at RBN, uh, Kim Brown talks about policing a lot. Uh, Black Power Media does. But besides us, who else is telling you about these incidents that are happening? Like a lot of people aren't even talking about it anymore. So we have to be very, very cautious, conscious of that. The fact that they're not covering these stories. And another thing that that was a, a big fail with mainstream media was after Joe Biden won for the people that were still out there protesting, they stopped covering it. They stopped Mm. covering the fact that people were still protesting in Portland. There were some people still protesting in D.C. And they just stopped covering as as if everything went back to normal. So we this is why we have to have independent media. This is why we have to have it. For sure. For sure. You know what? I never made that. That's so interesting. I don't know. I'm tripping out on myself because I never made that connection because I remember early when everything happened in 2020. I was sitting here with the family looking at the protests around the world and I didn't, I was, I I didn't understand, like, why does everybody give a shit now that since this one guy died, was murdered, like, what? This has been going on forever. Like, it didn't make sense to me, but now I see, and I was never able to connect that. And so it was because the whole trump 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 thing and all that propaganda okay tracy Mm -hmm. hello yes um things did happen it didn't it it nothing happened at the federal level right but i was i was looking at things that were happening in the states that's what i'm saying yes oh you did okay i didn't hear that part yeah but go ahead you got it Mm -hmm. um I was just paying attention to um, all these police accountability laws that were happening in, in the states and in municipalities. 
we um like I the one that caught me the most by surprise is when not is when not Iowa government uh, yeah Iowa yeah Iowa government passed some police accountability laws. I was like, hold up, what? Iowa? Iowa? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it was something that I I forgot what it was, but I was like, oh wow, you know, th- this was a couple of years ago um, during the Floyd protests or whatever the case was. We passed some things here in, in New York State. Um, we didn't get rid of qualified immunity statewide, but they got rid of it in New York City. Um, mm-hmm. I was at, when I was at the barber shop the other the other day. Um, they was telling me. Um, he said, "Yeah, I noticed that the cops were acting, you know, like NYP NYPD was acting like not how they normally act." when I was, when, you know, he was encountering each other, something like that. He, he just said that there was something different about them and their, you know, demeanor and how they were. I said, I was telling him, I said, yeah, because they're afraid you're going to sue their pensions. <laughs> you know, so, so, so they had made that connection. Um, yeah. Also, yeah. I think oh. some of them are more reserved, but then on the flip side too, Roger, there's been a ton of, new laws and new legislation up to be voted for to you know outlaw protesting you can't film police you know all of these sorts of things i'm in arizona and our legislature and governor oh. that's what they were on you're in arizona mhm oh. i was just oh oh my bad you're going to say something i was clear? just going to say who can't film police because mainstream media films police, does that apply to them too? Well, yeah, because they, you know, they don't like any journalists, really. The Republicans, they don't even like Fox. They, they like nobody at this point. But they were trying to make laws like you couldn't come up within a certain amount of feet towards them and things like that, you know. And and then I, I recall, I think it was DeSantis, right, in Florida with the you can't protest, mm-hmm. things like that. So that, see, just, that's against the Constitution. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was going like to say that, that. You know, that that's a big part of that problem. And the other thing, too, that I want to add is that, look, you can do these things and be smart about it because, like, you can sit inside of a Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks and sit up there at those seats that are right at the window and you can still film and they won't even know you're filming. Sure. Sure. O- also, um, oh, so this is kind of also addressed to, to you, Case. I got the time wrong on on the thing that was tonight for Arizona for Medicare for All Coalition. I got there because I thought they were on Pacific time um, when actually I found out they were on mountain time. So when I yes. got on, I was like, hey, it said, oh, Zoom meeting starts at nine. I was like, nine? I thought it was, I thought it was 10, you know, 10 for the East Coast. So... Um, I didn't know you but, guys were in that coalition. I haven't gone to any meet. I get the emails all the time, but I haven't gone to a Zoom meeting in a, in a see, while. So, so I'm going to. So this is how I'm going to try to loop you in, loop you into this. Um, so uh, Ken and yes. I think Eva Pitputso, something like that. She might have been on there tonight or whatever. Case. Good. You already know Ken. Yes. So after. I apologize to him today about, oh, sorry about that. I, I got my time wrong or whatever the case is. He said, ah, no problem. So, so I said, I emailed back and I said to him, I said, listen, um, like I said before, you should push single payer in your state 
um, not only just as a ballot initiative, but a ballot initiative amendment. You know, because if you push it as state law, then all your government is going to do is, um, what do you call it, is uh, 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 repeal it, alter it, or weaken it. Right. You know, without having to ask you. So I said, um, you should push it as an amendment, um, you know, which they would if you if you put it on the ballot, you ratified it. And now if they want to do any of that, they got to ask you first. So then he emailed me back and said, that's the plan. So I think since you already know, Ken, they, you know, they're going to, I, you know, it seems like they're going to try to file for the ballot initiative for single payer come January to get it on the 2024 okay. ballot. So That's I think you, up, since because... you already know him, you should get in contact with him. Tell him Roger sent you. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll, I'll um, get off now, but thank you so much, Sabby and, and everybody else. And peace and love. Thank you so much for okay. calling in, Tracy. Uh, go ahead, Case, and then I'll bring in uh, Noel. Yeah, um... So I, I definitely want to just piggyback on on what you were saying about um, building up independent media, and I definitely want to emphasize that that w- we've learned from 2016, Bernie 2016, Bernie 2020, that the media has great influence in this country, and and then we see with this latest example, the railroad strike, how much they can direct the narrative. We need to just flat out find out how can we strategize to take over mainstream media and i know a lot of mainstream media is on youtube so we need to either collectively build a network that we say okay we have all the different flavors of independent media let's work together to see how can we break out of youtube you know and i'm even talking about all the alternative rock fan and um whatever other youtube stuff that's uh, i mean video platforms we need to break rumble. We need to break out of the, even that. So I'm, I'm thinking like a strategy where we even put flyers up, you know, flyer the neighborhood and say, whether it's RBN or whether we come up with this new co- collaborative co-op of different independent media where we say, okay, we're all going to work together to spread our news uh, or spread our message, spread our, um, what we're trying to do. And people just go up and down their block and give out, put out flyers or put out stickers, or maybe we need to do billboards, raise money and put a billboard up of RBN, you know, literally in different cities and say, hey, come check out. You know, we need to be able to compete directly with the mainstream media over the next two to four years, have a strategy of how we can get one to two to five million um, unique hits, unique people come into the various independent media. That's the strategy we need to start working on. I agree with that case. I think that's a really great idea. Uh, I want to go ahead and bring in Noel. Noel, you are on the mic. You just have to unmute. Hello. Hello. My takeaway from this whole issue about the preempting of the railroad strike was that it was a wake-up call. It was a litmus test for everybody to see that the Democrats are really Republican light and that the working class poor and of all descriptions 
we have no allies here. We have no representation. One, one of the things that Shama said was interesting was that when she did the talk about, I don't need anybody to give me permission or a letter or a recommendation of where I need to stand on this, she was clear. And I thought to myself, that is exactly right. When President Biden called for a preemptive, a preemption of the strike, that was the time that true progressives would have come out to the media, raising the alarm, saying this is not right. We're not going to do this. But they laid in the thicket. And we knew from the handling of the infrastructure bill and build back better that if you disaggregate these types of legislations, nothing is going to happen. I knew when those two pieces of legislation were moved separately, the whole idea was to create cover so that the Democrats in the House could say, oh, we voted for this. And then when it went to the Senate, it was those mean old Republicans. When the truth is, if they had combined those two ideologies together, that is the, the additional sick time plus the um, breaking of the strike, because to my thinking, the only legitimate way to end that strike and claim to be pro-labor is to grant to the working class what they are seeking. So in the one hand, you say, well, we recognize that the economy is important, but we also recognize that we cannot have a healthy economy with an unhealthy labor force. What we're really looking at is the socialization of the entire plantation ideology. This country was rooted and founded in slavery, which means free labor. And ever since the beginning of the emancipation after the Civil War, the owner class has been working diligently to find ways to get back to that free labor, right up until the point where we're talking about automation and AI and all these things, the whole idea is to make it more profitable for the capitalist class. And therefore, we can tie what happened today, we can tie it right back to, you know, President Obama and Jim Clyburn coming out during that everything went well for Biden because they knew from his track record that he would be reliable for capital. The whole reason we are in Ukraine is because of Ukraine is resource rich. So every move that's made in this country is about the edification of capital, the preservation of capital, the advancement of capital. And unfortunately, we are labor. And so we have to get a lot of people disillusioned from thinking that the Democrats are substantively any different from the Republicans on economic issues. They play the games around the culture issues because the Democrats have a more diverse and ethnic, ethnically, racially, and everything else diverse base. So they have to spin the narrative differently. But the Republican Party has relied upon the poor and working poor white people to energize and motivate their body politic, which is why Trump emerged and is so powerful because he gave hope 
to the disenfranchised and poor white people who lean unto a notion that they have privilege and a pre preeminence in this country that nobody else has. So no matter what he does, he can say, grab people by the vagina. And he actually said, I can go out on Wall Street or Main Street and shoot somebody. They wouldn't care because he offers them hope. But he is a con artist in the same fashion that Barack Obama was. But Barack Obama offered, quote unquote, hope and change to a diverse poor and working poor. So when you look at the American society, it is, first of all, polarized around class, which is money. And secondarily, it becomes race. And then third, it becomes, you know, the patriarchy and all the other cultural issues. So my concern in this whole argument and this whole debate around the um, preemption of the strike is that people see it as an uncloaking and an unmasking of the Democrats. Everybody knew, including Ryan Grimm, um, Brianna and Shama, that when that legislation went through in a two-tiered fashion, everybody who is politically aware in the most fundamental sense knew that it didn't have a chance. So for Ryan Grimm, he comes on and he is in his role as the apologist for the so-called progressives. That's why he was for the most part, unflappable because he had his talking points and he was going to stick to it. He did the same thing with CJ in Rome, but um, the day before. But Ryan did offer some insight when he did the interview with um, RBN the day before, when he suggested that until there is a nationally recognized coordinated labor movement, there will be no pressure on the squad or the managerial class to do anything different. And what we have to process and understand is that when we elect people like Cori Bush and um, AOC and these people who come from various levels of working class to lower elite backgrounds, once they get in office, their whole thing is about getting reelected because that is their source of income. And so we can't depend on them to take these stances that are ethical and moral and in support of the working class because their whole perspective is different. There is no other way to explain Hakeem Jeffries becoming the minority leader and having the entire support of the entire Democratic caucus. It just does not make sense unless you are in alignment with what he is trying to do, especially when he was um, the head of a PAC that was actively working against the election of so-called progressives. So we have to, it is incumbent upon us as the working class to really try and reach beyond the breaks and find a real solidarity across the working class spectrum to build that momentum that will sustain, you know, real actions to demand what we want of the system. And unfortunately, we are in what we consider late stage predatory capitalism. 
if, if you pay any attention to what's going in the economy, everything is financial now because they exported all the production to China and the Philippines and Mexico and everywhere else. But when you did that, you pulled the rug from under your worker class base. And so they have less and less need for labor in the sense that we knew it from the last half century. So we have to be prepared for what that means in terms of what they're willing to do to control the narrative and maintain control of the plantation. And Ryan Grimm just plays his part. AOC, they, they will ride it off the rails. But at the end of the day, you know, Shama Sewant, the most important thing about her if, if you learn a little bit of her history, it's what they have managed to do out in Seattle and how they did it. You know, like you said, she contributes a portion of a significant portion of her salary to the efforts of the Democrat. I mean, the socialist movement that she's involved in. It is going to take that level of commitment. We do not mass produce leaders like Shama every day. She is clear. She is unflappable. She speaks to truth, to power and everybody in between. And so that is the type of thing we need to be studying. Those are the models that we need to be trying to to propagate across the nation because we see that it works. She describes what it is to go up against Amazon and all these big corporations and still win. And that is something that needs to be examined, studied and propagated all across the country. And we really do have to deal with the issue of class as it is um, depicted through race, because race is still a very um, polarizing issue in this society as it has been designed to do. And so when we talk about policing and how black people see policing versus white people, white people see police as making them safe. Black people understand police as being, you know, having having emerged from the slave patrols. So we have to get past these things. And if we can't get past the major polarization of race amongst the poor and working poor, we're going to be conquered in the next turn of things. And I am so concerned that that is where we're heading. And I know well, I said a lot. Well, no, well, I have no, to tell, have to no, tell, I, I got to tell, tell you this. Roger, you have an echo. Oh, that's oh, me. That's, me. that's definitely, that you. definitely you. Can you just mute for a second? Okay, all right. Okay thanks. okay, thanks. No, I have no, to tell have you. To tell you. Oh, me too. Hold on. Okay, I'm back. I have to tell you. I have to tell you. That was fire. That was fire. Oh, Sabrina. Like, you really like hit, the really nail hit the, head. the nail on the head. And, Sabrina, so that you know. When I am um, watching in the podcast, I am the Oracle at Delphi. Oh, okay. That's who I am. And my name is Noelle. Noelle. Yes. That's good to know, That's because, good to know um, because um, 
Not everyone has the same name. Right, right. But, you know, I just think it's so interesting because I think and, you know, by me being 59, I bump into that intergenerational misunderstanding of our body politics based on identity. And so as I talk to the people in my small personal orbit, I am trying to speak to the elders and say it is not enough to say blue, no matter who that never worked for us, this and that. And then it's as equally a challenging proposition to speak to the younger people and have them realize that, yeah, you may have gone to school with white people and diversity and this and that, but the rules of the game that will govern your life have not changed, not in an appreciable sense that gives you the full latitude to enjoy moving through this society in the same way that white people do. And the the unfortunate reality is as our kids come out of schooling and high school and secondary education, that's when they begin to see that it is still a two-tiered playing field and that white people, including immigrants, still get an advantage because this country has pinned black people who have descended from slavery to the economic floor. And that's why without regards to the level of education that we have, we still as a class, as an ethnicity, we still end up at the bottom economically through all the years of immigrants coming to this country. When you think about it, post um, Civil War, we should have been the next class to emerge because we should have gotten things that gave us ownership we should have been targeted for the Homestead Act. But this country has consistently had no use for us when our labor was not free. And so we have, you know, I was talking to a friend the other day and they were saying, well, you know, white people feel like they aren't slave owners and you were never a slave. And I'm saying, but that is so disingenuous because the whole thing about how the country passes forth riches is through inheritance. And the United States became the economic powerhouse and behemoth that it is because it had 200 plus years of free labor. Mm -hmm. We can't even talk about what that means in terms of grounding a nation. But since, you know, and the sad thing about it, Sabrina, is when we came out of the post-Civil War era with nothing, in a country that is ruled by money, we got nothing. And our people still manage to use their skill sets to build things. But through the generations, America committed massacres and lynchings and Jim Crow and Jane Crow. And that is how we got pent to the economic floor. And so through the years with the, the you know, immigration coming from Europe, from different places, you know, they seem to get ahead because this country welcomed them. And so now we're in the 21st century where the only way we survive is through reparations because we're going to be worth zero around 2050 or so. Yes, and, yes. you know, you hear these arguments saying, well, oh, the immigrants are upset because they feel like, why should they have to pay where you came to this? country looking for opportunities 
for free, but I am here to tell you there are no free passes. And that as a tax paying citizen, even if you are from an immigrant descendants, you don't get to pick and choose how the taxes are spent. And if you're not willing to own a portion of this nation's debts, which includes the debts to the descendants of slaves, then you're welcome to repatriate wherever you came from. Because the, the lunch that you came here thinking was free was paid for by my people. But we have to do a whole. And if we could get working class white people to understand the legitimacy of the legal claim for reparations, I believe that could be the nexus and the underpinning of us building that bridge across race to build solidarity amongst the working class. Because, you know, as long as you have these polarities around race and class and within class, you have all of the other isms like, you know, LGBTQ, gender, sexuality, those polarities keep us from coming together. And so I believe, especially on that quote unquote Democrat left side, we need to really understand that as Maya Angelou said, we're more alike than we're unalike. And we have to start working through some of those differences because at the end of the day, the capitalist elite, whether you call them Democrats or Republicans, they are on the same economic page. If we had a Republican president, they would have been calling to avoid that strike the Democrat call to avoid it. So we're in the same the same bag, no matter which head of the Hydra is in place. Because people need to remember that Ronald Reagan also did the same thing. With the- Absolutely. So it, it, it doesn't matter if it's a Republican or a Democrat that's in the White House. That's why I keep telling people like, economically, they both protect corporate interests. Exactly. Right. Go ahead. We have, we have, um, I just want to say this real quick so I pick up the customer so it won't be long. Um, um, when I saw you on, on, uh, Colin, uh, Colin yesterday, um, um, I remember Colin had said, what do you call it? You if you, you want to go to the crazy part so that this way you work toward part. the middle. Oh, Rod, we should be talking so, about oh, Rod, the rail. We should be talking about with the rail. I don't think it's me. It's my Bluetooth. I don't think it's me. It's oh, my Bluetooth. No, can, can you mute, no, mute yourself or mute yourself well? Yes. Okay. How do I do that? Let me do it. I, I think How I can do this? it. Oh, th- okay. Uh-oh, Kijar, thanks. She'll come back. All right, go ahead, uh, Roger. Yeah. So what I was saying, right, is we should be talking about, so it seems that the talk now is headed toward what are we going to do about the 1924 railroad law? And that's, it seems, okay, this is what the the focus is going to be now. I say later for that, let it be toward cooperatization of the rail. And then that would just nullify, um, what do you call it? That would nullify the twenty, the nineteen twenty four law because they're not going to, you know. Hey, how you doing? Hey, how are you? Good. You're not going to strike against yourself if you own the place, you know. If if you own it, you see what I'm saying? So we work toward cooperatization of the rail, then you won't have to worry about the, 
you know, fighting the 1924, um, the 1924 Railroad uh, Act. Also, we have a... Uh, we have a bill in New York State that deals with um, reparations. So um, I'm looking into that. My um, assemblywoman is like, I believe one of the sponsors, but it's really just a study so far, but I don't know, they sound kind of serious. All right, I'm going on mute. Okay, thanks so much, Roger. Ace, let me get you in here too, because um, I wanted to get your opinion about what Noel said. Oh, case might be might be busy. Uh, there's one other point I wanted to make, and I know I've said a lot. Um, I was particularly, as was Shama Sewan, offended when Ryan Graham said kept continuing with this byline that a, a caucus of the rank and file membership of the unions requested this because what he was doing was saying, okay, everybody knew that this was not going to work. So to provide cover, he actually was attempting to gaslight the members and say, but it was what they asked for. And the bottom line is this, the Congress people are the subject matter experts. Even if you come to me, if you say I'm a physician and they say, well, Dr. Cummings, we want you to do A, B, and C as a physician, I have to say, I understand, but it does not work that way. My expertise right, is right. medicine. But to sit back and ask us to swallow that these elected officials who know the process and we understood it through the um, situation with the infrastructure and build back better bills, we have seen this happen. So to suggest that, oh, they asked them to do it. And so that's why they did it. And that just and that's when Shama said, what the fuck? Because you're saying you're going to blame this on the people who are trying, who are the most oppressed. And that's why she found it unacceptable. And so did I. You can try and explain that whole mess about the preemption of the strike in a number of million ways. But you cannot try and legitimize it by gaslighting the people and framing it to the public. Oh, this is what the rail workers asked for. So don't be mad at the squad. Don't be critical of the progressives. Don't be critical because this is what they asked for. And that's just utterly ridiculous on its face. And I felt like cursing just like Shama did. And so I know as people of color, specifically black women, we have to, you know, kind of self-monitor so that our passion doesn't get misconstrued as anger. But that I found that most offensive, even with Ryan Grimm acting as a shield and apologist for these people, which is his role. And I understand it. But you have to put limits on where you're going to go with things because it does become really offensive. And on that note, if there are no other questions for me, I am going to um, mute myself so that you can get some of the other people in. And thanks so much for the opportunity to share and exchange with the group. Wow. Noel. Thank you so much, Noel. Go ahead, uh, yes. Case. You're, you're a teacher. No, oh, okay. actually, I am. I used to work for the transit agents. Um, mm, oh. Man, you articulated everything in the case for reparations so like more, better than I've heard anyone 
articulate that uh, because you made all the right connections and, and you made the case so well. Like, I wish you would uh, make a workshop or something like that. Just, I wish I could, I could just record that and maybe have some graphics and a production behind it. You know, if I had the money, I would do that. But you and your voice sounds so powerful. I just wanted to say that. Well, you know what? Thank you so much. And let me be forthright with everybody. I am a black woman of trans experience and I believe it is and I am originally from Montgomery, Alabama. So I believe it is my double, triple minority status in this society that has given me a perspective on it that is different from just everyday people. And my my byline and my perspective has always been that you don't really know a country or a system until you hear it examined from the bottom up. I have a master's degree, so I have a certain amount of formal education, but I have tried to negotiate this system from being marginalized in so many different ways that I have had to understand it differently. And that's why I can contextualize these things in the way that I do. Um, but, and also so that, you know, I am, you know, in a personal note, on a personal note, I am in the fight of my life because I have been discriminated against at the job that I used to work at and I can prove it. And I am being totally silenced and just ignored by all of the people, but I can prove what they've done to me. So I see all these things and I see the interlocking systems in my own personal life. So it's not difficult for me to extrapolate it and connect it to what's going on in the bigger society and the prevalence of the um, capitalist state and how it is underlined by white supremacy and, you know, things like that. So. Again, it's been a rich experience and I'm going to, like I said, if there are no other questions for me, I'm going to turn it over so you can get your next guest. And thank you all so much. Thank you so much, Noel. That was that was amazing. Um, let me go ahead and bring in uh, Lance here. And I want to tell you guys something really quick about gaslighting. And this is how I knew like Ryan Grimm was trying to gaslight people. You know, it was that point, like I told you guys, when Bree said like, Am I, which she said something like, am I losing it or something like that? You know, that's how people gaslight you. Like you start to question if what you're hearing is, is truthful. You are actually speaking the facts. You're speaking the truth, but the person that is responding, they are twisting it in such a way that damn, you start to question like, damn, maybe I got it wrong. That is gaslighting. And I know that from experience because I had a supervisor that used to do that to all of us. And she would tell us one thing one day, tomorrow I want you guys to make sure that you go to this meeting, da, 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 da. We'd go to the meeting, we'd get back from the meeting. And then she'd say, where, where were you guys? We were at the meeting. Why'd you guys go to that meeting? Cause you told us to. No, I wouldn't have told you to do that. You guys should never go to that. She did this shit for years, for years. Nobody corrected her. Nobody stepped in. HR was useless. They still are till this day. And, you know, I ended up leaving that employer. But the thing that I want to point across is like, that's how they'll get to you. It'll get to the point where they are twisting things in such a way where you actually start to question yourself and you wonder, like, maybe I didn't hear it correctly. 
go ahead, Lance. You just have to um, unmute yourself. Yeah, yeah. It's like quick change artists. It's, 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 it's easier to get fooled than you think. Um, Sammy, first, when you were on Rising, hey, Roger, hey, Case, hey, Asura. Uh, oh my God, Noel was just what a prof- what a just a, a, inspirationally you know, like profound, just what a righteous voice uh, that 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 Noel uh, you know expressed. That was just great. Mm-hmm. I have to chime in with that. How can you not? You know that was just so uh, heartfelt and profound without trying to be you know fancy or anything else. Just just from the heart, just just beautiful. Um, but um, so yeah, when you were on Rising, it seems to me that you know how people say you, they mean like, well, one should do this, not you personally. It seems to me you were kind of pointing the finger directly at uh, at Bree. Seems to me, would I be wrong on that at the very end of the thing? Pointing the finger at her about what? I said a lot. I don't know. <laughs> well, at the end, you were talking about how the responsibility of the alternative press to hold these people's feet to the fire, generally and specifically on uh, the stuff you were talking about. And it seemed like when you were saying you, it wasn't the collective you. It seemed like you meant you, Bree, you know, that she could do even a little more. And she's coming around. She is. She's moving in a direction that's good. But anyway. No, uh, I wasn't talking about Bree. I was talking about people like Ryan Grimm. Right, 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 right. But yeah. I thought you meant that even when people like Brian Grimm did there. But okay. So anyway, yeah, because she's great. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I think she's wonderful. And you know what? She is like what I would say being older. She should be like a, an anchor person for the national news because she is totally going to go out of her way to be fair in a way that maybe I think she should go further with something. But no, that's not. She's not trying to do access journalism. Not at all. But she wants to be able to be fair to everybody, no matter what, even though she, people know where she's coming from. So she's great. She should be an anchor person on the national news type thing, I think. You know, she's that when, good. Well, with the national news, if you're trying to be fair to everybody, you're gone. Right. No, that's what I mean. She couldn't in this day and age do that. But yeah. she could be like a Ted Koppel. You know what I mean? Ted Koppel was a lefty, but he never would let that get in the way of his, uh, you know, of his. Uh, OK, so that said. You know, when Ryan Grimm, it, it kind of grates on me when he calls himself a reporter. I'll just do two quick examples. Larry King, he was a hard journalist, print and then radio. Then he said, you know, I'm not going to do that. It's going to be not softball. It's going to be more gentle, more conversational, kind of a forerunner prototype for a Joe Rogan type show. But every time he would have like Condi Rice, whoever, he would say, now, I know you've done the congressional hearings and you've done the Sunday talk shows and all that. I got to ask you the questions. And he would with very little follow up, but he would go through the litany of the basic questions. What about this? What about mushroom cloud? Condi Rice. Perfect. Then at the end, he said something about what about the parents of the soldiers? Now that we know that was all lie, because they would come on to his show at the end to get the, to rehabilitate their image. But still, he was a journalist by nature and he would not grill, but he would get things out of people and he did his job no matter what. And he and he would still ask the right question and still go through both sides of the question. Another example would be. Chris Wallace, I would watch the Sunday talk shows. Chris Wallace would grill Republicans way harder with the with the note because he would say, oh, I thought you were going to bring that up. And then Chris Wallace would bring the receipts compared to Faith the Nation or freaking uh, Chuckter and the guy before him, Dick Gregory. Whatever, no, not Dick Gregory. God forbid. Whatever, Greg, whatever, you know, uh, you know, David Gregory. They were so softball to Republicans and Chris Wallace at Fox was harder on them. So when Ryan Grimm says he's a reporter, dude, forget about follow up. 
You don't even ask the initial questions. And she, he had to actually apologize to Emily Jasinski, who from the right, I think she's great. You know, she responds well. She's, uh, you know, an honest broker. She's from the right. Okay. And she actually said, well, gee, I would have asked this or that. And Ryan Grimm had to say to the right winger. Yeah. You know, I should have asked her this because he did that recent interview with the AOC or whatever. I should have asked her this. I should have asked her that. He's not a reporter. So don't quit saying that. Call yourself a pundit, and then I can at least listen to what the hell you have to say. But he's not, you know? Anyway, thought I'd throw that in. Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, again, um, I want to bring up this point about access journalism because it's very real. And for people who are not aware, I mean, most of you guys probably know this if you've been following me for a while, but I majored in broadcast journalism in undergrad. So I've been doing interviews since actually since I was in high school because we had to, I took a class called programming and broadcasting when I was in high school for my junior and senior year. And we started doing interviews in high school and I'm just going to keep it real with you in order to get access to certain people. Sometimes you cannot critique them the way that you want to. And so the pressure that I think we're asking Ryan Grimm to put on members of the squad, he's never going to do, or he's probably going to position. Like, let's just be honest. Yeah. That's a big part of it. What is troubling to me is when he comes onto Twitter to run cover for them every time they are criticized. It is very weird. It's, It's just strange to me. I mean, I don't see anyone else doing this to their defense to the extent that he does. Yeah. So that's a, that's a big part of the problem. And just I, just do what that phony uh, press press person for Trump said. Oh, no, I'm I, this is my pundit hat. I'll go be, a, you know, a mouthpiece for the president. But, you know, it's like, you know, uh, officially in the press thing. But no, I'm putting on my pundit hat. At least do that. At least say, OK, I'm putting on my pundit hat. Now, don't pretend you're reporting stuff, Ryan. That's not what you're doing right now. Go write an article. I'll read it. But don't call yourself a freaking reporter when you're just shilling for the other side, you know. And yeah, you know. Well, well, again, it's it's just like, I felt like during that debate, he was missing the big picture. On he purpose. He wanted to talk about, exactly, on purpose. He wanted to talk about whether or not the vote would have passed the House. He wanted to talk about, it didn't really matter if they would have done that anyway, because it was still going to pass. What he conveniently left out was the fact that even Bernie Sanders knew not to vote against the opportunity for them to strike. What he what also, he also right. left out was the, fact, the fact that, that oh, can you mute for a second, Lance? What's that? Um, what he also conveniently left out was the fact that he left out what was their assignment when they went into D.C., These were not just regular corporate Democrat candidates. These were justice Democrat candidates. And their assignment was to push back against the Democratic Party to do a hostile takeover of the Democratic Party. So for me, I don't care who told them to vote which way. I don't care if it would have passed in the House anyway. What I care about is that you're going to go in there and do the job that you are assigned to do. And since they have gotten in, they have not been doing that. That was Kashama's point, a million. They didn't do it with uh, the Capitol Police funding. 
They didn't do it with the funding for the Iron Dome. They haven't done it with this funding to Ukraine. And I, this is why I continue to go over the principles on DSA's website and the Justice Democrat principles to show people that they are not following any of those principles. And they signed a pledge. <clears throat> they signed a pledge for Justice Democrats to uphold those principles and they're not doing it. And this is the piece that Ryan Grimm is missing. Yeah. And I highly encourage the next person that talks to him, they need to bring up that piece that they're not doing the job they were meant to do. So when he said he thinks it's silly for people to say that DSA should remove them, why right. is it silly when they are not upholding the DSA principles? Right. Why is it silly when one of the principles of DSA is to support the Palestinian-led movement, which included BDS, and they are sitting up there uh, supporting uh, the state of Israel with yes. the exception of Rashida Tlaib? Why is it silly when they are no longer advocating for defunding the police, including Cori Bush, by the way? She's silent on this issue. Why is that silly when that's another right. principle of DSA? Why right. is it silly that they are voting against railroad workers to have the ability to go on strike when that is another principle of DSA right. that all workers should be able to go on strike. So this is why, see, I couldn't have had that conversation with Ryan Grimm. Right. Because if, if I, that is exactly what I would have laid out to him. And I wasn't available to be on the discussion um, when he right. came on RBN because I, I had a meeting at that time. But oh, was... <laughs> that's, what, that's exactly what I would have thrown at him. Because right. I want to hear that answer. How do you respond to that, Ryan Graham? How do you respond to the fact that they are not doing the job that they were assigned to do? He keeps comparing them and talking about them as if they are the regular corporate Democrats. That right. is not the job that they were assigned to do. So if they're not doing the job they were assigned to do, they need to go. And DSA leadership needs to grow some balls and right. they need to remove them from the organization. And Dustin, yeah. Justice Democrats needs to be dismantled at this point. Right. And, and he, you know, he also said it's silly to think that we should think about talking about getting rid of the Railway Act. It's 100 years old and it's one carve out for one industry when we have the most strongest union worker pro stuff going as in, in 40 years. And he wants to not talk about that. Add it to the list. Not going to cost anything to say goddamn Railway Act. Get rid of it. <laughs> of course, it's silly to Brian because the darn, the darn, we don't have 10 votes from Republicans, so we can't talk about it. Screw you. Talk about all of it, you know? But this but has been a pattern, though, Lance. He oh, yeah. also didn't want them to force the vote which right. is in the DSA handbook. In fact, that was one of the first things they were supposed to do was force the vote for Medicare for all when they had enough members to hold some type of leverage, which they had at that time. He came yeah. out and, and, and smeared that. He came out and smeared the general strike summit that we did at RBN. He didn't want us to do that. Oh, why are these people talking about general strike? Why are you against talking about a general strike, Ryan Grimm? Why right. are you always coming in every time somebody, he's like a white Obama. Yeah, I was just going to say that. That's exactly what Obama said. We don't have the vote. We don't have the vote. We don't have the vote because we only got 60 and you need 62. They had 60. But Nelson, 
But Lieberman, remember Nelson in Nebraska? There was two of them. They needed 62 because they had 60. So don't give me that, that, oh, we don't have the votes. You never have the votes. You always got excuses. But about the access journalism, the thing that Bree said was when Brian said to them, when he said, well, yeah, I would have looked at the room differently and voted again. He agreed that there was a stupid thing. And Bree said, you know, why don't you, you know, what about that? And And he's like, you have to ask them. And here's what Bree said. We can't ask them. They won't talk to us. They only talk to you. So my follow-up question to that would be, is that a coincidence, Ryan? Do they, do they just keep throwing a dart at the board and you're the only one that they ever talk to? Is it a coincidence, Brian? Ryan? He knows. He knows that they won't talk to us. Yeah. This is not the first time that Ryan Grimm has heard that. So he knew damn well what he was doing when he made that comment. He set you himself up for that one because, yeah, well, whoa, talk to them, ask them. Well, we can ask them because they won't talk to us. I would like to say, is that a coincidence, Ryan? Or you're the only one it gets to. Yes. Exactly. And nobody finds it strange that they won't come into left independent media, which was the same platform that gave them a voice when they were running uh, to begin with, and they just totally abandoned. They won't even go on to TYT, and TYT is right. way mild. <laughs> I'm just right. saying. So yeah. Could, yeah. this is all a game, you guys. You have to understand it, this is it's all so a game. Much is. They have fallen in line with the elite class, with the corporate elite. They're doing what they need to do to keep their seats because they want to stay in office. Every now and then, they'll, put in, they'll let one or two of them vote against something to make it look like they stand for some shit. But yeah. they never actually do it when they have the leverage to actually prevent. I think it was Jimmy Dore. He was talking about revolving heroes now instead of revolving villains. Right. Revolving right. heroes. We voted against it. Half the squad and then half dozen. Then the other half dozen. The other half dozen. Right. Or to or to uh, prevent danger legislation or to right. uh, so, or to put legislation forward that would actually benefit <laughs> people. This, this is a joke. I tried to tell people I've been telling people about this. What, it's almost two years now. I tried to tell people who AOC really was. Yeah, I was called a hater. I was called a secret right wing. And I'm like, OK, <laughs> you guys don't want to know the truth about her background because you guys are praising her like she's some idol. And it's not right. just her. It's all of them. The Justice Democrats were supposed to be everyday working people who were supposed to come forward. And they were all supposed to be nominated by people in their community. That didn't happen that way. So some of those people that got in were not nominated by their community. And you know what's really sad? The people who really were did not win. There's a reason why they did uh, not they rally did not. behind someone like Apology Swearer. There's a There's reason why, why AOC did not did support, not support Bush. 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 Right. Go yeah. ahead, Bryce. I was just going to add one more thing before I mute and go away. Okay, go. Could I? Okay, go. Yeah, yeah. Just to, just tangentially to all that. Now, this might sound crazy. You know where I stand. I'm, I'm a lefty, right? But I want to shake the hand of every member of the squad because the railroad workers were asking for only 14, uh, whatever else they were getting with the raises, which were, you know, between inflation and some of it was backlogged. They weren't getting no 24% going forward because of all the increases that they should have got. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. So 14 days is all they wanted. 14 sick days. They would have settled for seven. And because they didn't, if they had pushed for it, hypothetically, 
And Biden did it because they quad pressured him and said, we're going to put the pressure and somehow got it through. We would have a union contract. We would have the union would not be not only thinking about going on strike, but they wouldn't be starting a third party. I'll shake their hand because by finally going and putting that last straw on the camel's back, I am in New York state and it's a perfect storm. The more I've been thinking about it the last few days, it's a New York state for what's left of the union movement. It's a strong union state. I live amongst people that I'm doing this agricultural crossover thing. I'm working with people and union is another thing that could be strong out in the area that I live in as far as working, you know, with people that I don't agree with, with Republicans and conservatives. Also, the idea that it's, it's railroad. No offense to Starbucks or, or Amazon workers, but what I'm saying is railroad workers are kind of like old school, only they're not going to be so old school that they're going to be like the old mafia union stuff where are going to beat people over the head, but they're going to be strong-willed. They're not going to be namby-pamby. They won't fold and fade. So this... this I have to thank the squad. I'll leave with this. I have to thank the squad and I want to put them on my Christmas card list because they push the railroad workers over the edge and they're going to say, fine, we got to go back to work. The law says we have to. We got families and we can't quit. We're going to start a third freaking party and it's going to succeed. And I'm jumping on board from Jump Street. I'm, you know, and whoever else is listening out there, you guys. I'm on board with this and I'm wishy-washy about electoral politics, but I've been thinking about it for years too. What do I, what would I do if I was going to get involved in that? This is the perfect storm. So I don't know. I feel more gung-ho and optimistic about a third party that I have since I've been old enough to think about. Can I, thanks can so much for that, Lance. Thank goes? you so much. Um, uh, Roger, can you meet really quick? I want to make sure I give uh, Bryce yeah, I'm a chance I'm going to be speak. real quick. Lance, you said uh, Chris Wallace, but in no way does he compare to his father when it comes to holding people accountable and the way he interviewed people. Oh, my God. Um, All those guys. Uh, but Mike Wallace and Morley Safer and, um, oh, who was the third guy? Oh, he did a thing about pot, about this Egyptian Coptics and how they were doing lawsuits. You could tell he was stoned as fuck. Harry Reasoner. Harry Reasoner. He was from ABC and Mike Wallace. Those guys were fucking awesome. They were brilliant. They were well-educated. They were so widespread in terms of their knowledge. They were hard-hitting and relentless. Oh, my God. Awesome. Thanks so much, Lance. Uh, I want to go ahead and bring in uh, Terry as the next caller. And Bryce, uh, I want you to go ahead and uh, want to give you a chance to speak. You just have to unmute. Hello, Zabby. Hello. How are you? I'm doing fine. Uh, What's going it, on? How, how do you feel about all this, Bryce? Uh, I I just knew like what Ryan Graham was going to say. So, and I think a lot of it like had to do with like uh me being on Jimmy Dore's channel and shit like that, and he's called them out like uh relentlessly. You know, saying before you know, especially like when um when uh COVID happened and shit like that. Uh, just the 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 um. Just seeing like what happened there, you know, when I was like, especially like when I was like, uh, uh, and I just, uh, like I, I, you know, I just, you know, became a voter, you know, a Bernie and shit like that at the time and shit like that. I went to go see, uh, AOC and Bernie at the time over here at like, uh, Del Sol. Oh, uh, not, not Del Sol, uh, 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 Chaparral, like, you know what there was and shit like that. So I think that when when I see, you know, like what's going on and shit like that, and you know, me watching Jimmy Dore at the time, 
like what that was and seeing like uh just uh uh the the um even like uh with the uh, humanist report and and uh and david doe uh there was another channel i was watching um but like seeing all of them talk about like uh the 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 backing of like uh just trying to get bernie in position and shit like that like i just I just, you know, like, uh, I was in support of it. So, uh, I think if anything, like, uh, I just saw how everything went, you know, uh, being like a delegate here in, uh, Nevada and shit like that, how like everything went, you know, with, uh, Bernie Sanders and how, uh, uh, I forget like what the 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 place uh, the company uh was where like he went to Iowa and then he went to like South Carolina and, like did like smear that shit so but if anything like uh uh would with what 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 Ryan Graham is trying to do Jimmy Dore has called that out you know and he called it out like uh a couple of years ago and they're they're they were trying to you know like uh defend um uh uh you know the squad and Bernie Sanders you know wholeheartedly and shit like that and you know I just seen like what happened. I totally hear you, uh, Bryce. And I think part of the problem was the fact that I think a lot of us, at least coming from that Bernie Sanders movement, we were looking for a savior of sorts, right? We thought that like Bernie Sanders would be the one to like rescue everyone and save us. And then we see what happens, you know, in a, in a sense is kind of a good thing that Bernie Sanders lost because we get to see how he would have been. Because some people tell me that like, if Bernie would have won, we would have Medicare for all. Would we? Would we? Because even if he would have chosen to do it by executive order, the House could have come in and vetoed it, you know? And I'm starting to wonder with Bernie's actions, if he even would have tried to implement a Medicare for all by executive order. He's been going along with Joe Biden saying Joe Biden's doing a great job. I mean, listen, this is all a game. If Bernie Sanders really wanted to have a revolution the way that he said, this political revolution across this country, Bernie Sanders would have continued his movement after Joe Biden won, and he would have had a third party movement or a doesn't necessarily have to be third party. But if he wanted to do political, he would have started a third party movement or he would have started some type of uprising throughout this country on the outside, whether it was a labor movement or whatsoever to push back against the establishment Democrats. And I think what people have to remember is when Bernie Sanders run both times, it was really to push up against uh, far right people like Donald Trump. When he ran in 2016, that's what he was pushing up against. He was, again, Trump was still running at that point in time. Uh, then when he ran in 2020, Trump was in office. So uh, it was like, we got to get, we got to get Trump out. We got to get Trump out. Uh, and I think. Uh, uh, hold on. Uh, I'm going to push back a little bit. Uh, is it really far right as you think it is and shit like that? But uh, I mean, it, this is like uh, going back to like Hillary, like uh, 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 uh Hillary getting supported by Donald Trump, like back in the day. That's a good point. That's a good point. Maybe I'm thinking about Trump right now. Cause like now Trump's trying to get rid of the constitution or something stupid like that. But I think what's important to remember is like, it's easy to appear to be a leftist when you're running up against someone on the right. 
Where was that same firepower when Bernie Sanders debated against Joe Biden one-on-one? That firepower wasn't there. I saw all of those debates. He didn't bring that same energy to that debate towards Joe Biden. And that's why I said before, I wouldn't have been surprised if he had already been spoken to before that debate. Go easy on Joe. You know, we can't get Trump back again. So, you know, Joe's probably going to be our best chance. Like if he was really serious about if any of these people, Bernie Sanders and the squad, if any of them were serious about a, a revolution or a labor movement across this country, None of them would have taken direction from Barack Obama, who's not even in office anymore at that time, telling people to drop out and telling people what to do from behind the scenes. None of them would have taken direction from him. They weren't serious about it. They grifted people. They funneled all these young people, got them energized and funneled them into the Democratic Party. They took money from working class people and from poor people. And I saw it with my own freaking eyes because I was on the ground. Nick was on the ground. Rome was on the ground. A lot of us that you see at RBN, we were in in the mix of it while everybody else was podcasting at the time. And we were not. So I saw them take money from working class people and from poor people. I saw people who were on disability giving money to Bernie Sanders because they really thought that he was going to come through for them when it came to Medicare for all. And to watch Bernie Sanders just sit up there and tell people before he had even suspended his campaign to go ahead and vote for Joe Biden. He did it twice in a row, people. He did it during 2016, vote for Hillary Clinton. He did it during 2020, vote for Joe Biden. Bernie Sanders is just another tool to keep you back in the two-party system. He's never going to start any real revolution. He's never going to start a third party. And people need to understand that. And I say this because a lot of people still have a lot of love and admiration for Bernie. I appreciate Bernie Sanders to getting me to the point that he got me to. But I also appreciate my own wisdom from knowing when to move the fuck on. And I think that's the piece that some people are still missing. Some people are still believing that the squad and Bernie are going to save them. No politician is coming to save you. And Mm -hmm. people have to understand this while we're sitting there twiddling our thumbs, hoping that politicians come through. We could be organizing with people in our communities and not just like what we do at RBN, not just mutual aid. Everybody could be doing this. You don't like AOC, you live in her district, start organizing with people in her district and start helping each other. Fuck her. She not going to Which if anything, like I agree with, you know, like everything that you, you, uh, you, uh, you savvy and, you know, Nick and the CJ like have been saying, like I've I've been like, you know, agree with. So you know, even though like I have like jokes, like in in the chats and shit like that, you know. But I understand like uh what what this is and shit like that. So man, you know, if anything, like uh you know, I'm I'm probably gonna be like with Rome more. You know, if anything, like the energy, like what Rome and Nick like talk about and shit like that. I'm I'm gonna be the individual that's gonna be you know that's gonna be in the front line. So you know I don't, I don't give a fuck about dying and shit like that. You know uh, I you know even though like I have a daughter and shit like that. Uh, <clears throat> uh I just know that uh, you know like uh, I'm I'd rather you know rock with the people. You know rock with you guys. You know like and and you know ladies. Uh. Uh. Uh, other letters, uh, like I, I rather fuck with fuck with all you guys, 
as opposed to like uh you know you know fucking with like a, a Ryan Graham and shit like that. I saw that shit, you know, when I like saw that I saw that shit with Brianna Joy Gray and shit like that. I was like, this this dude's a fucking clown, you know, like he's 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 fucking lying. Like I I, I witnessed mm-hmm. like like all of that. So Ryan's trying to you. keep that spot. Go ahead, Roger. Uh, I got you a customer. That lady I got in the car, she was she was listening to you. She's like, wow, I like what they're talking about. And then I had to subscribe to your channel. Roger, you're letting people listen to us while you're driving? What? It's like listening to the radio. That's the political <laughs> education hey. we're talking about. Hey, Roger, I like I like that, man. Keep it up, man. Yeah, I do it all the time. I was like, wow, I really like... So, you know, I just asked her. I was just like, hey, so, you know, they're talking about... Uh, AOC and the squad and all that stuff. How, I mean, how do you feel about him? Uh, you know, like, he was like, eh, I don't really like him too much. So I said, um, okay, so do you not like him because they're sellouts or do you not like him because they're too far left? And she was just like, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> you know, but it was a short <laughs> ride, so we couldn't really, like, really get into it. But she was like, but I like this, this, this calling thing. Right. Here. Oh, yeah, because she even I had her uh, download the, and, and listen to it on her phone. And then she turned it off because she was getting the echo from my phone. And then she and then you know, I said, oh, just go to a YouTube channel, you know, and boom, she subscribed to you. So another satisfied customer, Sally. That's where the echo is coming from. That's really sweet. <laughs> that's really sweet. Go ahead, Terry. Um, you just have to unmute. If you're if you're still there, Terry. I see Q. I see your listener. Um, I can invite you to speak. I don't know if you you can speak right now, but I'll invite you. I invited you to speak. Uh, Terry might be in sleep mode. Ashura, are you still here? I wanted to um get your take too, because I know you've been quiet for a bit. Oh, it's uh, my phone. For some reason, it's not charging. Oh no! You pulled a Sabrina. Uh-huh. You pulled yeah. a. You pulled a me. Yeah, it's. Uh, I've just been silent, just seeing what the fuck is going on with the phone. Uh, yeah. Uh, what what was the question? What are you thinking about all this now, in reference to? Because, like, for those who who just joined, the railroad workers did come on my show tonight. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I, I told you guys I was going to ask them about going on strike. And one of the things that they said was that they did vote to go on strike, but it was shut down. And this is another piece that Ryan Grimm is not telling people. And that's frustrating. Like, that's really frustrating to me. Oh, go ahead, Terry. I see you now. What what did the uh, what did Biden? What did uh, I mean? Um, what's his name? Ryan Grimm. What did he say exactly? Did he say uh, Joe Biden was defending it or what? I, I remember Joe Biden said something and Ryan Graham basically defended him. He, he said him. he said in the debate that they did not want to strike. And the workers told me tonight that they voted to go on strike. Okay. Um um what about the uh heads of the uh the workers union? Because you know how, how these heads of the workers union they basically have a different agenda than the workers themselves. So were the heads of the union basically for the strike themselves or for the what the company wanted? 
the union leaders sided with what the the actual come they see this is the thing about union leaders sometimes they don't necessarily represent the best interests of the union workers yeah and that happened in this case so they basically sided with the uh corporations that's right okay okay i, I see why he said that but he's not really telling the actual results it's basically like the, <laughs> the, the people in there don't want to do it but it's the heads of the union the representatives they basically wanted to go with the company yeah <laughs> yeah unions are a bit corrupt they did corrupt like it, it, it was like thing that happened with bernie sanders i believe Something about right. what the union members wanted Bernie Sanders and basically the union heads basically didn't like Bernie. They wanted Joe Biden. Some of these union leaders are paid bank, you guys, while the members are not. Just FYI. Oh, my God. That is so true. <laughs> it's true. Like, it, I've, I've talked to some of these people. Agreed. <laughs> Let me let me just say this, right? I had to get off some of these um NIPAN calls. Uh New York Oh, 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 matter of fact, brainstorm. Um New York Progressive Action Network, right? So what what happens is, you know, they have these the they have these um um these uh, uh emails and zooms and stuff like that that I'm still a part of. And is this guy, uh, so it's the whole thing about trying to get the New York Health Act, okay? So the unions send their guy in, this this guy, um, and it's it's weird because everybody knows what he's there for, to be a, to be a Ryan Grimm for the New York Health Act. Because again, union leadership makes bank by owning uh, but when they, they own stock in private health care and they make bank selling it to their members. So they'll send this this guy in there to try to uh, quiet down the natives so that we won't get like reckless or whatever the case is. And it's so funny because everybody knows what he's there for. And they're always like arguing that arguing with him. And I think what it is, is that they feel that this is the only way we're going to get it because the um union leadership is so strong in in albany uh, albany is the capital of new york state that is just like oh we got to work with this guy to to try to get it uh, so on and so forth right and everybody knows this guy's like a ryan Grimm, and, and they they don't know who ryan Grimm is i'm just saying they know this guy's a ryan Grimm or a cia asset for the union bosses and so on and so forth and it's just like you know, they feel it's like a waste of time because they don't know any other thing to do. I got off of there because I'm like, look, all you got to do is put the fear of God into Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart Cousins. OK, she keeps taking every time they're going to um, what's that word? Put the pass the bill um, out of committee. She takes it out of committee. OK, yesterday I was at. And I and I put this up when I spoke to um, yesterday. I was at the um, so Assemblyman Ron T. Kim. Okay, if you remember him, he was the guy that blew the whistle on Andrew Cuomo and the nursing homes, especially the fact that he had a family member that died when you know he forced nursing homes to take in uh, 
COVID positive patients and ended up killing grandma and grandpa and so on and so forth. Then he tried to uh, get them to do uh, shield them using shield legal liability or something like that. And then he he blew the whistle on that also. But anyway, um, Kim held a thing yesterday for public banking for the get the New York Public Banking Act passed. Right. So I went to it and this it was put on by um, New Economy Project. And there's a chapter in there foot called Public Bank NYC. And they're, they're C3, they're 501C3, so they could like only educate. But they informed a lot of people in this district about the New York Public Banking Act and so on and so forth. So when it was my turn to speak, well, when they was asking questions, I said, look, this is all great and everything. And, and I, I feel what you're doing, but you should do the same thing in her district, in Yonkers, because that's where she lives, the Senate Majority Leader. Uh, her district is Westchester County, uh, Kyle Kalinske's County, who's never spoke on the New York Health Act. Just want to put that out there real quick. Um, and uh, I was say, you should do this exact same thing in her district and Speaker of the Assembly call Heasty's district, which is in the South Bronx, okay? And, you know, like district, Assembly District 83, Senate District 35, okay? You need to let people know about what this is, you know, uh, and, and how it could benefit people, you know? What I want to try to do is see if I could coordinate the people from the Campaign for New York Health Act, because, you know, like to, to do the same thing, maybe like a little uh, coordination between the New York Public Banking Act people and the New York Health Act people or whatever the case is, and go into these two districts, okay, and, and, and do the education of their constituents. So it's, it's really a planet for me, pretty much, you know, when you see the dust swirling and so on and so forth. But, you know, um, I want to make sure, um, I want to make sure I bring in Rob. Rob has a cute little dog here. Rob, you are on the mic. You just have to hit uh, unmute. Hi. Hi, Savvy. Oh, that's my dog. There's the dog. Uh, Hello. Chill, okay, Lucy, just chill. Chill. Uh, oh, Lucy's excited. She is. I just got home from work. Oh. Okay. All right. Okay. So yeah, I yeah I saw that uh that y'all were um talking about uh the debate on bad faith. Yep. Has anybody called the fire? What's department? your take on that? Has anybody Because damn, he got roasted. Yeah, it was pretty bad. It, it was it was pretty bad for him. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it, he didn't do himself any any favors at all with with the. Uh oh, I lost you, Rob. Oh. Uh, yeah. I I was just saying, uh, it. He didn't do himself any favors with the. With the gaslighting that is giving them, with the uh, oh the oh the whatever part of the real and uh, uh, told the squad to uh, 
to, you know, vote how, however they voted. Right. And, 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 and Shama Sawant and, and Bree, well, you know, God, God bless Shama. She was not having, it was just, uh, it, it wasn't a good enough, a good enough justification for it. And it, it, it seemed like he, uh, he came into it unprepared, even. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it was it it was an entertaining uh, episode of uh, a bad faith, definitely. Uh, so, um, w- what did you all think of it? <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. I mean, I I I really did not take what um ryan Grimm had to say seriously because again like i talked to the railroad workers tonight and some of the things that they said contradicted what he said so that's why like even when he came on um rbn i was like okay i'll see what the workers say when i talk to them oh sabby it was it was the pivots and it was like uh the question that that he said so like he was like asking questions, like uh, uh, you know, with uh, with Rhea and Shama, and it was it was crazy to see that happen, you know, real time. So, agree, agree. Um, let me see. Here, yeah. So, Rob, one of the things that was mentioned that he said during that interview was that they didn't want to go on strike, but. When I talked to the railroad workers tonight, they said that they did vote to go on strike. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, interesting that uh that he would not say that. Again, it's just like I don't know who his sources was. I I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just feel like the entire interview. I felt like he was just gaslighting. Like that's what that was what I gathered from that interview. Um, Sabrina. Yeah, go ahead, Noel. Noel. The thing, the thing that I wanted to clarify about Ryan Ryan Grimm's attempt to gaslight the rail workers, what he was suggesting, because we all know that the at the overall level, the unions had voted against the agreement. So what he was saying is that there was a caucus within one of the unions that was approaching um, Jamal Bowman and saying, yeah, we want you all to go ahead and move forward the legislation to try and get the seven days. But what the the um, diabolical piece of that is when everybody is, you know, like I say, everybody knows that a two-tiered legislative approach was not going to work. The reason he was trying to say that it was an inside caucus, because that begins to provide an ultimate cover for the progressives and the Democrats to say, hold on, don't attack us. The rail workers actually wanted this. But what he was actually talking about was a caucus, which is a minority view within one of the unions. So my perspective remains that Jamal Bowman and AOC and all of these other people understood that that two-tier legislative approach was not going to work. 
So the only way Ryan Grimm and whoever it is he's speaking for can try and create cover is to say, yeah, we may have thought it was crazy and we thought it wouldn't work, but that's what they wanted us to do. So, and that's why we call it gaslighting because you're turning it around and blaming the very people who are trying to get the sick time for the fact that they won't be able to get it. But like Shama said, when the Teamsters, I think she said it was the Teamsters in Seattle, said that they were going to go on strike for whatever issue it was, she came out immediately and wrote a letter saying that she had their backs. That is what leadership does when it is in support of organized labor. You don't wait and say, well, this caucus told me this and that. When Joe Biden said, this is going to disrupt the um, supply chain. This is going to disrupt the economy. I'm asking for Congress to prevent this. That is when the progressives, quote unquote, on the left were supposed to organize as a caucus and stand up and say, oh, no, we won't be supporting this and blah, blah, blah. And if they had put the attempt to get the sick days in the same piece of legislation in one bill to say, okay, we're going to prevent the strike, but we're going to, in the same stroke, give them the sick time, it would have forced everybody's hand. Because that legislation, we know, would have passed the House narrowly, but when it went to the Senate, it would have collapsed. But then you would have had the Republicans squarely where you wanted them, the Republicans plus Manchin and however other many Democrats. So the whole thing was a ruse, but it was really offensive for Ryan Grimm to try and say this small caucus within one of the unions went to Jamal Bowman. So it's really the union workers' fault. That's what I felt was so um, disrespectful and so disingenuous. And I understand that Ryan's role is to come and try and add a different perspective and spin this thing in a different way. But I think it is whenever people come forward in those reporting um, roles, it is a wonderful opportunity to expose them. And I think that is exactly what Brianna Joy Gray did and Sama Sewant when they were exposing him for his positions to simply be irrational and illogical and unreasonable. And so to me, it was just, you know, theater. It was really political theater. But the beauty of it was it exposed Ryan Grimm in this position of trying to defend what we know is indefensible. This was a wake up call for America to say, listen, the Democrats are not the way. And that's why we have to hammer these points home so that the people who don't understand it quite as thoroughly as we do began to examine. Because the reality is when you're poor and working poor, everybody is busy trying to survive. And that's why Americans on the from the poor and working poor class generally, I think, don't dial into politics in the way that they should because they're depending upon the media. But we have to realize that the media is not the media of the 1970s when there was some shred of independence. It is now corporately owned and they are consumed with the manufacturing of consent and pushing the narrative 
of the um, state. That's right. That's that's a that's a very good point there, Noel, because I want to come in. That impression too that he was trying to he was basically trying to put the blame on the workers, and not once in that entire debate did I get the impression that he, he was trying to back the workers, and that's a that was a big problem. That's why I was just like. He's more focused on defending the squad than he is trying to back the workers. There was one part in the debate when he said, oh, you want them to overturn the Railroad Worker Act from the 1920s? Are you serious? You know, it was kind of interesting to me because it kind of reminds me, like, where would Ryan Grimm have been on some of these social issues back in the day? Where would Ryan Grimm have been during the civil rights movement when activists were saying, hey, we want to have equal rights for uh, black people and white people. We want to have integrated schools. We want to overturn uh, Plessy versus Ferguson. Well, Ryan Grimm had been like, oh, you want to overturn Plessy versus Ferguson? You see the problem, you guys? Like some of these people are really understand. Like, I don't feel like some of these people that say they're reformists, I don't feel like they're reformists. Um, I feel like oh. a lot of them are fine with the status quo. Well, if it didn't, like, I'm surprised, like, uh, you know, Bad Cookies, like, he's he's been in the chats and shit like that, uh, and Naturee, uh, like, uh, quit, because, like, uh, 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 Ryan Grimm was, like, in uh, Bree's chat, you know, on, her, you know, her calling and shit like that, and he was still talking, you know, and he was still trying to, like, uh, defend, his, defend his position and shit like that. I'm surprised, like, you know, uh, Naturee and uh, Bad Cookies, like, having, like, a uh, said anything about that you know because he 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 continues to, to do the same thing you know he continues wait he to, was on the call-in show yeah oh, over on oh, Earth. God. <laughs> he was on the call-in show tonight yes what is wrong with him <laughs> he's a glutton for punishment Dude, like something is off here. Go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, I heard, I, I heard um both with him on there, and I, I commend him for going on independent media. This is exactly what we want our uh, people to do, just to communicate with each other. You know, including uh, Ro Connor, Ryan Grimm, and I think the more we communicate with each other, I, I really hope that we get the point across. I know people in the chat were like, "Nah, he's not going to change," um, but I'm hoping that we have some kind of uh, influence over the next time that he starts the way he shapes his articles and the way he talks to the squad. But, you know, only time will tell if we are truly affecting him. But um, we need more of this. We need other people. We need I know you had to beef with um, Humanist Report, I think. Uh, not. Yeah, Humanist Report recently Mike, where he called you. Michael Figueroa. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was very disrespectful, but I would love for him to have a conversation with you, Sibs, because the more we talk to each other, the more we can hash out our differences, and then finally we could come together and go back to what I was saying earlier. Independent media needs to come together, collaborate, so that we can become a force to be reckoned with with mainstream media. It's vital to the discord. I think we need to be clear that Ryan Grimm, it is not a case that he does not understand the arguments that Bree and Shama were making. He is a very bright man. 
he is deliberately taking the positions that he is. So this is not about persuading him. He is the point person who has come out to take the heat and deflect this discourse from the representatives. Because think about it, the actual discourse should be directed to AOC and Cori Bush and all of these other people. But as long as you have Ryan Grimm out there to deflect and offer an alternative reasoning, then they feel comfortable not having to come out. And his whole purpose is to sow the seeds of a different way of seeing it from the way everybody gets it. Everybody knows that that approach splitting the seven days from the um, preemption of the strike was not going to work. But if Ryan Grimm can come out and say, hey, but it was the caucus of union people who asked for it, then you can create a distraction because then people are like, oh, well, if the union workers asked for it, then it's really on them. It's not on them. The, the representatives were Jamal Bowen was doing as they asked him to do. So we have to be careful. Ryan Grimm is a very intelligent man. He un and if you notice, the only time he got frustrated and almost lost his cool was when Shama Sewant or Bree cornered him with step-by-step mm -hmm. -step questioning that he had to go ahead and admit, oh yeah, I thought it was a silly thing. And then that's why um, Shama came out and said, I think it's very disingenuous for you to be up here saying these things. And it's like, whack-a-mole with you every time someone raises mm -hmm. an objection you spin the the um dynamic and offer a different solution so for him to when he did the interview with rbn the day before he tried to make it clear where you know i'm a reporter it's not my job to take positions mm -hmm. on these things yada 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 but when he is asked specifics, he offers all this inside information on, well, it was the caucus who did this. Well, how do you know all that? And if you're just a reporter, you do have a quasi responsibility to ferret out the truth. And so if you think these players are being disingenuous and the strategies that they're articulating are superficial, you have a responsibility as a journalist of integrity to expose that. So, like I say, don't mistake Ryan Grimm for being naive or just not understanding. He is very deliberate in what he is doing. Mm -hmm. And I want to add too. I want to add to that point as well that, like, when he said that he doesn't take a position, it's not his job to take a position. He takes positions all the time on all Twitter. The time. All the time. Mm -hmm. Yep. And um. What, what, was, what was I going to say? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I think how, I would have loved to have asked the, the union people, I mean, the railroad workers. Pick up on the left. Um, why not just say, give us what we want or we'll walk? Or we'll just walk. Well, you know, I did ask them about that. I said, because they can do that now. They can still just leave and, and walk now. And they said that. It, it looks like some of them probably will leave. Yeah. And, and it's just, but yeah. it's not that simple too. Like sure. uh, yeah. when you're asking someone to leave their job, they have to have another job lined up. They got to feed their families, you know? Yeah. So there's that too. But they said some of them will leave. And then they also said that they were also short staff. So that was another part, another piece of the equation 
that I feel that that Ryan Graham, I feel like Ryan Graham also have not been mentioning. I mean, listen, I agree with Noel 100%. I think Ryan Graham knows exactly what he's doing. He's playing his role. And if he were to step outside of that role, he would not keep that position, you guys. Like, Ryan Graham is not just a writer for The Intercept. Like Noel said, he's the D.C. Bureau Chief. So it's like, if he were to criticize them the way that we do, you think he would still have that position? No, he wouldn't. He wouldn't have Like, this is the thing. Like, you have to ask yourself when you see politicians, especially ones that do not come on independent media for the most part, when you see them only talk to a certain independent media person, I can't say this about Rokana. Rokana will go on any, any independent media. He came on my show. I didn't even have as many subscribers at that time when he came on my show. Okay. Uh, he's, he's come on to, to smaller channels. Like he'll, he'll do it. But when you see AOC go on Pod Save America, the same platform that smeared mm -hmm. the Bernie Sanders campaign, you need to ask yourself why that is. Why is she willing to go onto a platform that did not promote her, that was not for the Bernie Sanders movement? Why is she willing to do that? She's not willing to go back onto Glenn Greenwald's show. She's not willing to go back on the Jimmy Dore show. She's not coming on TYT, which is pretty mild compared to the rest of us. She's not willing to go on Bad Faith. She won't go on to Rising. Give me a break. And it's not just her, Ilhan Omar, Jamal Bowman. Uh, and so when people say they're mad at, at the, uh, the uh, protesters who confronted them at the town halls, you're mad at them because of what? If they had access to those politicians, if those politicians were actually giving them the time of fucking day, and these are people in their districts, they would not have to bombard them at a town hall. They are doing so because those politicians are ignoring them, but they weren't ignoring them when they were trying to get elected. They weren't ignoring them when they needed their money. And that's the fucking problem. And everybody should be calling it out. And that goes for Anna Presley too. Because well, I, was in, I was in her district and I did vote for her. I did support her. I did believe in her. And she was running. She also ran against an incumbent. And this story did not get as much attention as AOC's did. And that's why I said AOC was propped up from the very jump. Ayanna Presley also ran against a long-serving a long incumbent that was in my district. And they hardly got any attention. And Ayanna Presley ended up winning. She bougie as hell, too. And you can tell her I said it. And I'm keeping it real. And people may say, well, yeah, yeah she's in Dorchester. Da, da, da. She bougie. She bougie, boo. Why do you think when it came down to endorsing, she endorsed Elizabeth Warren. She didn't endorse Bernie Sanders. Elizabeth Warren told you to herself she's a capitalist to the bone. What does that mean? And she endorsed, you, you call uh, yourself a Hillary, socialist? Correct. Why the hell are you endorsing the capitalists? She, yeah, she endorsed Hillary Clinton in 2016, no, I believe, also. Yeah, I wanted to say if anything, like uh, Noel, like what she, what she said, like integrity is like important, and shit like that. So I don't understand, like, uh, why you know these people like wouldn't like uh, you know, vote vote their convictions and shit like that, you know. But you know, if, if they really believed in like what they were saying and shit like that, like you know, why 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 not vote that? Yeah. A part of it is because these people, as I say, like Corey Bush and some of the other ones in the squad, they come from either lower, upper class or middle class or working class backgrounds. 
When you go to Congress and start making six figures and you're on TV and you get this following of acolytes and people around you convincing you that you're important, you don't want to turn around and let that go after one term. It becomes a personal thing. One of the things, if we know our history, that made FDR effective in the things that he did with the New Deal was he came from an elite background. So he could see, and he even said, what he did was to save capitalism. But the reason he was able to see those things and make those moves is because he came from an elite background, so he understood the system. When you get working class or people who are slightly above working class and elevate them to a national congressional position, these people come under tremendous pressure to do what the system says do or you will be gone. Because here, and this is the thing we can't underestimate, it is the people like Hakeem Jeffries who is threatening to, you know, primary people, that it puts a real fear in some of those people. So that you have to have a person with the commitment and backbone of Osama Saywant to stand in the gap and say, I am going to do this because it is the right thing to do. We don't have that type of vetting before we got these progressives in there and this and that and blah, blah, blah. So I think one of one of the most powerful things that could happen is if the electorate start turning those so-called squad members around in one and two terms, then they will get the message. This is just like Chris Hedges said. They only respond when they are afraid of you. When they really think, oh, if I don't cast this vote, I'm not going to be here next cycle. Then they will cast the correct vote and tell Nancy Pelosi and Hakeem Jeffries and everybody else to go sit on a rusty nail. But as long as they're more afraid of Nancy Pelosi and Hakeem Jeffries and the people inside the Democratic machine, they're never going to respond to the people because we know in this country, if you get elected, especially if you're a woman or a person of color, then there's tremendous energy to see you reelected because it's like, ooh, they finally got to the big, big chair. We got to keep them because they're going to play that, oh, little, you know, Latino me, little black me. But we, ha and that's where we as a um, working class have to focus more on the demands of the people we send. We cannot get caught up in the identity politics because it does not serve our interest. And if there's anything we've learned coming out of the 60s into the 70s is that we have to stay on focus on the mission at hand. We can't get caught up in identity because we know now skin color is just a game. Look at what they played with Barack Obama and um, the vice president. It's just color. It isn't even ethnicity anymore. It's simply yeah. brown skin. Well, Noel, like, I won't. So, I mean, uh, I'm just going to, like, you know, let everybody know, like, you know, I, I, I see the game. So. so yeah. I want to make sure I bring in Neo. Neo, what's up? Howdy, Sabby. How's it going tonight? Hey, how's it going? Good, good. I, I didn't get to catch the Wakanda Forever criticism stuff. Was that fun? 
it was something. <laughs> <laughs> I I wanted to get your thoughts on since I missed it. Like, didn't you? Did you also think it was some bullshit how they killed off the best actress in the film, like Angela Bassett's character, halfway through? And not only did they kill her halfway through, but they like drowned her, so they didn't even do it in like a like a interesting way. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was surprising to me, but I think. You know, me and JB's focus was more so on the the idea that the movie kind of made colonialism seem like it was a friendly thing. Mm. And that was not okay with us. The propaganda. Like, so, yeah. yeah, so both of us saw that movie and we had talked to each other about it like after we saw it. And we were like, yeah, we need to do a stream on this eventually and talk about like how they tried to pass off colonialism as like this soft kind of thing. And, you know, you or they like used it as a plot. They used it as a plot device. Exactly. They use it yeah. as a plot device. And the other aspect, too, is like to make it seem like the CIA is your friend. Sure. To make it seem yeah. like, like, oh, they're just here to help. They're here to help us out. Nah, bud. There's been a lot of that propaganda going around and like someone pointed out tonight that they felt like a lot of um, Marvel uh, movies do that. They give you this propaganda like and make you feel make you think that like these alphabet letter agencies are actually there to help the people when in reality they're really oh, not. Yeah. It's like a, it's a micro version of like somebody has a 30 minute YouTube video on how the Call of Duty games are. I mean, it's obvious that they're psyops like for mm-hmm. military uh for military people but uh but yeah i mean there's you know that's everywhere that kind of crap isn't it go ahead Ashur. uh i said that that was since 2008 if you basically go back and watch the iron man movie basically if you i'm pretty sure roger is probably old school enough to basically read the old school comics he would tell you basically iron man's origin is not like in afghanistan but like he basically tripped the wire in i think it was china or some country somewhere but the way they had the come in and swoop and change the origin just to match with a comic book they did back in 2007 before the movie came out. Mm-hmm. And they were like pro-military in that movie. For sure. They, 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 yeah. They're always doing yeah. that. They're trying to update everything to to today. Yeah, but I think it uh, originally it was like Vietnam or something. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. He like triple wire or some shit. Yeah. Right, yeah. Did you get a chance to see the debate at all? The uh, debate? I saw clips and I saw um, what was it? Who did I see covering it? Nick and C- Nick and CJ, I think, were covering mm-hmm. it. And uh, oh my fucking gosh! Uh, I was gonna say. I mean, I don't know if it's gonna sound funny or not, but I thought it. <laughs> uh, what was it? I was gonna say that Ryan must have gotten a fat paycheck after that room job he did today. Because like, ah! seriously. <laughs> Because he, I think he just gets. I think he just gets paid. The longer he stays on and just denies, 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 like what's going on, then he he gets his paycheck. You know, like just never agree, just don't agree, and you're good, bro. You know. Oh, I never understood why when he goes on live on somebody's channel and he lies, and then he goes on Twitter and says something else. As if we can't screenshot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He basically says exactly how he feels on Twitter, but when he's on the camera, he says something else. Also, um, uh, uh, uh case, yes. So, but yeah. So before you you was talking about um, like talking with a humanist report and having these conversations and and uh, to um, try to. 
Oh, sorry. He he blocked all of us, by the way. Humanist report? Yes, he blocked all of us. He He blocked my savvy? You're joking. We got problems, Mike. We got problems, okay? I I, I do have a question on that, though. Like, do you think it's it's a bad thing to have, like, another account? Because I I feel like people are going on, like, they're making, like, uh, this giant documentary because Jimmy has a burner account. Like, I'm pretty sure CG has one. Like, people are talking shit behind you behind a block, and you you can't respond to it. Oh, a lot of people have uh, multiple accounts. I just don't give a shit. Yeah, I said what I had to say, and I kept it moving. But people, people make it like it's a bad thing if you have one when they're basically shitting on you behind a block. Yeah, that's that's grimy. But um, I, I was just gonna say like, oh yeah, yeah, case. Yeah. So I definitely understand what you're saying about um, like having these uh, talks and debates and try to get people on board or whatever. But I'm letting you know, me personally, I am done with talking. I am trying to do action now. You know what no, I mean? I, I agree with you. Yeah. What, let me be clear. I, I'm talking yeah. about the fact that j- just here on this calling, we people mm-hmm. can have disagreements all the time. Right. We have disagreements on certain things, but it's more about being open to and, and consider everybody good faith actors. You know, I, I consider Bree a good faith actor. Well, I consider oh Sabs my gosh, but that's a good why... faith actor. Case mm-hmm. three. That's why this this that's why this crap with Ryan tonight was like fucking horrible deja vu. Did anybody mention uh, the force the vote conversations with him like a year ago? Yeah, yeah, that guy. Yeah, they up. mentioned that. Come on, like I mean, you know, it's just it feels like we beat our heads against the wall it, like on a, on a yearly cycle every time Ryan yeah. pokes his head out and says some dumb so, shit. So, so real quick, Neil, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but let me just um button up my point is that we're, we're going to always have this, especially as we grow, you know, as, as we start different initiatives. And I'm definitely trying to plan out for that for when, once we start getting different teams and under the mutual aid political party, we're going to have people who are more revolutionary, meaning they want to be more violent versus people who are less want to work within the system. And there's some people who want to work with, you always have the dem exit, them enter. And so I, I don't all, consider these people bad actors i think they're genuine in their them trying to work out a a strategy to do whatever they're trying to do but and so the question is do we start calling each other names like i think it's totally unnecessary yeah so that's where i'm getting that like you shouldn't be calling people dipshit you shouldn't be um, blocking people you shouldn't be blocking people so now you can't even have communication so that's that's something i'm disappointed in personally but i'll give you No, no, I I didn't mean like uh like let's curse the people or whatever. I just meant like uh I'm the the talking thing to me it's just like done. I'm like who wanna get down with the ground game? Who wanna get yeah. these ballot initiatives going? Who wanna get the, the you know you know what I mean? Like you you talk over there I'm, like me, I'm just not interested in talking no more. I'm interested in who wanna do this action right now, mm. boom, boom, boom. That's just where my head is at, you know. Like, I, I keep thinking of um, if you ever seen um, Conan the Barbarian, the Ar- Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, oh my gosh! When when um, he was somewhere, I forgot what he, I forgot what it was, but he said enough talk and took out his sword and threw it at someone and stabbed him and ah, and he died. That's where I'm at. The whole intro to that movie is hilarious too, though the the montage of him like getting bigger, pushing the wheel and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 
So that that's just where I I, I I'm just like enough talk. Let's do it. <laughs> that mm. that's just where I'm I'm not interested in like because a lot of these people you know like you know you might not think they're bad faith actors. I think some of them are, um, and they're just gonna. I think they're just gonna drag down like yo look. Do you want to continue? You know like. Someone like a just like that guy I was telling you about on 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 these Nipan calls, who who are like oh you know is trying to calm the natives down to who the union send in there to to when we try to get the New York Health Act, you know like I I left that thing I'm like okay, they're not doing anything they're trying to talk talk and talk with these people so I'm like all right let's see if we could get some people over here and educate people in the uh, Senate majority leaders and the speaker's district and educate their constituents about what the New York Health Act is, what the New York Public Bank Act is, and then say, yeah, it's your representative who is the leader of their, of the, of their chamber that's holding this back. You should call them up. You, you know what I mean? That's, that's just where I am. I'm, I'm just not, you know, I'm just not with the talking anymore. You know what I mean? I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm not, you know, like, you know, everyone does does their thing. Yeah, but to your point, it's like I get kind of annoyed when we talk around the issues of the DSA, the squad, and Bernie's instead instead of just saying like, who are we going to start finding to replace? You know, like it's like we talk a lot about how people anger us instead of just saying like, all right, we're done with these folks, let's move on. You know? Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a time for everything, Roger. There's a time yeah, to I, organize, I and then there's a time to do what we're doing right now, which is. Um, communicate with each other and and strategize and and talk but you know what though the the people that are like on the ground they never heard of these people on youtube <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? like they're true. just regular people that said hey you know like those people savvy that got the some alcohol stuff on your ballot initiative thing they probably never even heard of jimmy door or, or jake no. uber or, they just did. <laughs> they just did it. It's like YouTube. What the hell is that? Or as your dad would say, "What the hell is this?" The hell is he even that? The, listen, and Rome oh, Brothers oh, pointed oh. too. Most people. I'm gonna tell you. Rome said, "Look, most people in the hood have no idea who Jimmy Dore yep. is." Uh huh. Most right. people in America don't fucking know. Even including some of my friends. Some of my friends they only know about me because they're my friend. But when <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just keeping it real. But when I tell them about like, oh yeah, did you see this this vid by Jimmy Dore? Or, uh, you see this vid by Tyt? They're like, oh, what the hell is a Tyt? <laughs> what? And then they get offended. Videos? And then that's another thing. Then they get offended if I tell them, oh, it's the Young Turks, and they're like, the what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most people like, you know, like the people that are actually doing it. You know what I mean? That like these people over here in the Arizona for Medicare for All Coalition or whatever the case is, like boom, the the National Infrastructure Bank Coalition people, they're like, oh, they they never heard of these YouTube people, but they're like, oh, thanks, Raj, for getting me on the, on their shows or whatever. Um, I'm trying to get them on someone's show. I forgot what it was. Someone someone show, but yeah, yeah, yeah. This this is what I mean. They're just doing it. You know what I mean? They they they're just mm -hmm. boom. You know, um, it, which reminds me, I have to call up the that guy, Gillibrand's office tomorrow, because to, I never got a return email on that. But yeah, you know Medicare what I mean. Medicare for Just... all everywhere is coming on tomorrow night. By the way, that's another oh, um, activist. Finally, we got him. 
We make got oh, my bad. I'm thinking of the mask hair people. My bad. I'm still working on them. We got to figure that out. Um, <laughs> Neo, I wanted to make sure. Neo, did you get all your questions in? Because I, I have bad cookies in Levi, too. Yeah, I, I just plugged Neo's algorithm on YouTube, and I'll peace out. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Let's bring in bad cookies. And Anita, you are a speaker. Feel free to unmute when you're ready. Hey, Sabs, how you doing tonight? Hello. Hey, I'll, I'll make this one quick. Uh, now that now that we've seen this conversation between Kashama Sawant, um, Ryan Grimm, and uh, Bree, do you think we already know what what your base thinks? I mean, it's not rocket science what your base is going to think. Do you believe that Bree's base and less likely Ryan Grimm's base will will see the gaslighting and the bullshitting that he's doing now after today because I mean after today it's it's blatant at this point if if they don't see it isn't that a are they being purposely blinded it's a simple question uh thanks Ed. uh bad cookies I'm gonna say no <laughs> I, I would say no too um because What's the base, first of all? Who are who are the base? Um, I think, I don't even know. what I mean, like, I think most of the people that watch me are leftists based on, I'm, I'm just judging from the polls that I've had. Um, but, but what exactly is the base, right? Like, um, some of the, some of the people, I, I've listened to some of Bree's call-ins and some of the people seem to be like, just quote unquote liberals, not necessarily leftists, uh, something that I notice. Um, so maybe they will not change. There may be some conservatives that listen to, and this don't really affect them in that sense. They didn't vote for the squad. <laughs> they didn't support them or canvas for them, you know? Um, but no, I, I don't think it will. Like, I'll just be honest with you. If you are vote blue, no matter who, you might take this all in, you may have questions, but at the end of the day, you're still gonna, they're still gonna vote for the Democratic Party. Like, it's just so dangerous. Like, I, I really wish a lot of Americans would just wake up to the fact that like, we need to be focused on the class issue and not so much left versus right. But it's hard to do that when the majority of media is telling you to focus on left versus right. Go ahead, Levi, what's up? Hi, Seb. Can you hear yeah. me? I can. Oh, wow. Um, I just listened to all of uh, of Bree's call-in. And I've been listening to, to uh, Bree of Joy Grace um, podcasts, I guess, since, um, since, since the beginning of her, of her independent podcast, not the one that she did for, um, for the Bernie campaign. And... I listened to Jimmy Dore probably that whole time too, and I came across you in in that from that. Mm -hmm. You hear me? Hi. Yeah. So I'm obviously I'm British. Probably you can tell from the accent. Did you listen to Breeze calling this evening? I was live streaming at that time. Oh, okay. No worries. Um, I wonder. Yeah, we need to work out the overlap. Okay. Um, I love, I, I feel like what you just said, you said uh, about it being like the liberals 
Um, there's definitely some liberals. I mean, that was obviously going to come with um, what's his face. You know, the intercept guy. Um, the intercept guy. <laughs> yeah, Grim, Mr. Grim. The, the Grinch Grim, whatever. <laughs> I like him. Uh, uh, I enjoyed hearing him so nervous this evening. It was, it was really worthwhile. I mean, it's a long call-in, went long. It, it, he came in uh, late, as he did for the initial podcast with, uh, with Sharma Sawan. And, um, you know, he came across very much like a nervous dude. I, I really felt almost sorry for him like I saw a new... I'm in, obviously British. Um, I live in America for 20 years now. Um, but, like... Uh, that's important always... to me because because to do a class, uh, everyone in England thinks about everything in class terms. Mm-hmm. And uh, being in America and hearing everyone just feeling their way toward understanding that there's something called class. Um, well, not, not that everyone is just feeling their way that way, but that it seems that way to me. Uh, it, 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 it's 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 very dis it's, there's a dissonance for me like psychologically um to feel to feel like the major category under which everyone looks at everything in england and and i was 26 when i came to to america and now i'm 47 so i've been here 20 just over 20 years and uh to hear everyone like finding their way toward a class analysis uh as uh, i it, it's really it's i'm really happy that people are finding that voice <laughs> and i'm listening to these spaces and i'm like uh, and it's confusing to me because i'm i'm i i i guess i i guess in america i everyone thinks oh he's just a british white guy but i'm actually like a gypsy uh british gypsy person i grew up I'm 1975 is when I was born, so I'm 47. Um, and and I get, and it gets so frustrating to hear all of the identity, like little miniature identity identity squares that were being put, little cubes that were being put into, and I'm like, oh, I'm not any. I just don't fit into any of these things. And the thing that I feel in my body, the like the stress and all of the all of the stuff that I feel about being looked down on as a gypsy in England, as a working class or lower class uh, person in England, it doesn't even show up in this register in, in America. And people are just finding their way toward like a class analysis, but it's always muddied by all of these other identity politics um, categories. Uh, it's frustrating <laughs> and, 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 and kind of yeah. awkward. Yeah, I mean, um, I am happy more people are waking up to class analysis uh, as well, but not as many people as I would I would like to. Um, I have a friend that lives in the UK, and I've heard uh, so many things from him. Um, he was just telling me uh, recently that he's not sure if he's going to be be able to even have heat this winter. So I, I've I've heard a lot of the yeah. stories. Um, yeah, I did cover the cost the, of uh, yeah. They've, they've you you know then. Um, mm-hmm. They just like the the cost. So my mum happens to be a ex post office worker. Um, she got a post office. She she went into a bank job when she was sixteen. She left school, 
didn't go on to college, but she was like, she passed the 11th grade test at that time. That's what allowed you to go on to um, what could have been a university path. But, but she married my my dad, who's a, who just passed away, and he, he's a gypsy. And so they they kind of moved into a they moved into a caravan together and started uh, working on a strawberry field and all this stuff. And uh, that's the way I grew up, right? Like what the way I grew up is very different from all of the people I hear on uh, like all these places. But I feel very close to Jimmy Dore because he he grew up. Um, he did he he worked a like manual job like mm-hmm. brick brick building. I can connect to that. Like I was a twelve year old and I was knocking down like uh, brick. We we got this house and we had to brick knock this house down. We were taking the bricks to recoup the price on the bricks and the, and the tiles and all this stuff. I just understand what it is to be working class and to be slightly at this weird sort of group there on the outside and. And it's just funny to be in America, and my wife's American, she's my, 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 my wonderful wife, and she's gone, she, I, when I met her, she was a barmaid, but then she's gone to be a, um, or a, sorry, a, I guess you wouldn't call her a barmaid, a, a, she worked in a restaurant, and she's gone on to be a, a, a lawyer, and here I am teaching school, I dropped out of, uh, I, went, I went to um, university here, back to school, through college, jumped over the middle part from from UC Berkeley to UC Davis from undergrad to to um what do you call it uh to a PhD and I dropped out of the PhD because everyone it's just getting deeper and deeper in debt and my neighbors who already did PhDs are all like just getting teaching gigs at high schools so I did the same thing so now I'm teaching at an Islamic high school in Fremont I'm not I'm not Muslim it's been very fascinating. I've worked there for five years. I've learned a lot about Islam, and uh, but just I know it just I'm just like throwing out stuff because I've drank about two and a half bottles of wine. Because uh, I'm obviously not Muslim, I've drank about two and a half bottles of wine. I've listened to five hours of Brie, and now I've jumped on you, Sabi, because I, I love I love I think you're great, uh, and I love seeing you show up more in that space, and you know. I'm sorry if I if I'm not making a lot of sense. At oh this no, point. you're fine. You're fine. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for that. Uh, I give me bio. I I really appreciate that. Like I, I'm always interested in hearing about what's happening abroad as well. Like I, I live here. Live here. Yeah. Okay. You you're in the U.S. now. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. It's it's just like. I don't know. Like I, I talked recently about the strikes that were happening in the UK and how different yeah. employees, different employers were trying to connect with other uh, uh, employers and like go on strike. Like nurses were trying to connect yeah. with um, the the postal service workers. Yeah, that's what my mom worked in the postal service. That's right, and that's what I've been wanting people to do here in the US is to have that connect. It doesn't happen like that here, and that's what I've been asking for. Is like. You know, Starbucks trying to go on strike should connect with Chipotle workers trying to go on strike. You know, get all the restaurant industry. I 100% agree. Um, I will say, just 100% honesty, my mom, she's trip right. So my dad just passed away. My mom, um, she's, uh, so she must, she's 69. She's in that triple lock thing in England, the triple lock 
so she she's got her sister passed away disabled my disabled aunt sister passed away um like a, not long ago she left my mum enough money for her to uh get the house pay the house off and then she's triple locked in this new uh, situation in england so that you know, the triple lock just means that basically they're dividing and conquering like they do here, you know, here. It's a strategy. It's like, so these people, it's kind of like the people are saying, um, if you've worked in the train, um, in the train industry for a certain amount of time, then you're, you're considered legacy. And then there's a, they break you up into tiers. And so you end up being divided and conquered according to like what's coming to you individually. So if you have class, class consciousness, um, then you then you might be defiant. Uh, if you're not class conscious, then you might be. Uh, you might just think, well, this is bad for me. You know, I'm sorry for those people, but I'm not necessarily going to go and strike with them. And I kind of feel like my mum's in that that latter group. Mm. Not she. She like it's really my granny and granddad who told me. Uh, like, uh, I'm sorry, I'm just going biography. My, it's my granny and granddad who were the prime drivers in my early uh, life because of my dad's illness and stuff. And so he was out of the picture. And uh, so my granny was super, uh, as, a gyp- young, as, a, as a gypsy woman who had been like excluded in so many ways, she was really idealistic. And she was like, if I could read and I could write, because she was, um, not able to. Uh, she was she was not able to read, um, and she she you know she'd gone through a lot, and uh, she was like, if I could read and I could write, this is what I'd say. And she 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 gave me idealism, idealism, and like my dad actually, you know, was was really ill, and when he finally got back on, he got so bashed down. Uh, so beaten down as a gypsy in England by teachers. His dad used to beat him. His teachers used to be really cruel. He got like so beaten by uh, the, by people at school as well that he nearly died of pneumonia, rolled him around snow, stripped him down, all this stuff. Oh, and I don't think people understand like what happens, like the, what happens in England to gypsies and to other people. Everyone thinks it's no one seems to understand this weird subgroup from which I come. It, you're born in 19... I'm born in 1975. I'm in England. And, and, and it's just this weird little patch of unrecognized kind of area. It doesn't show up much. And uh, I have a very, very, very strong feeling about labor, about this whole relationship that, that we're trapped in. And I listen to all of this stuff since I've come to America about 20 years ago from... Uh, democracy now i gave up on them obviously in the last 10 years or so but like initially they were my first landing point and uh i needed something that gave me uh grounded me to keep me uh, sane uh, like i'm coming from like england and i was like that's this is not good enough i have to get out of here i came here met my wife got married to an american person end up staying not expecting to stay here and every time i go to the to Kaiser or wherever it is that I have to go for doctors. It's insane. It's absolutely insane when you come from somewhere else where there's medical care 
to this place where they just treat you like the way that you get treat the way people treat you here is yeah. unbelievable. And uh, I, and and then I'm a, I went I went back to school because my wife my wife went from being a, a, a server to a to a um, she got like a loan and went to to law school. She's become an immigration lawyer, and I've become I went through to a PhD. Uh, in English, which everyone demeans, you know, and I dropped out because uh, I, I, I'm ABD, I'm an all but dissertation, so I did all this work on resentiment about class, basically, and the affect or the feeling of like feeling bad about class relationships and how that shows up in literature and, and sociology and all these other things. And here I am listening, listening to you guys, probably to the point. But it's making me a little dyspeptic. <laughs> I'm a little sick of it. And I, I just, I just want to say, I know I just went on a ramble because I just did just drink three bowls of wine <laughs> with my wife. I just did. And so, Sabi, this is the first time I've got through to anyone. I'm so sorry for just like not making sense. But I bet you, I bet as an ordinary, as a person, I've heard you, I've heard you so often. I bet you at least glean. I'm coming from somewhere good. I'm kind of messed up right now. I'm going to try again to t call in uh, to you and to Bree and be much, much more um, coherent. But I just want to say, it's, I'm, it, we're squished. I'm, we're really... Uh, uh, to watch my mum after my dad passing, to watch my mum in England struggle in this cost of crisis living, as they call it there, to watch my wife... Uh, struggle as an immigration lawyer because she didn't become a um, corporate lawyer to be a teacher who's trying really hard to actually activate my students so they're not just um, they're not just like regurgitating stuff to get through to the next level mm -hmm. to become a credentialized so they can get a job but so they can actually grow their conscience and their class conscience and they're, they're, I actually work at a, a, a school. It's a. I, I said it probably. That it's, it's an immigrant school. It's a. It's a small private school for. Um, for for Muslim kids, and I'm not Muslim, right? That's why I'm saying. That's why I'm drinking the wine. Um, uh, to to deal with this this community. You know, to Lee. Try to, oh man, I gotta stop. I know. I'm sorry. Levi, the one thing that as I listened to you and I wanted to respond a little bit is that by you coming from England, you're coming from a European society that is much older than the United States. As a matter of fact, we are what I would consider the first derivative in that the United States was founded largely by people who um, allegedly were fleeing oppression in England. So yeah. the fact that you resonate more with the class analysis speaks to the fact that your society emerged from monarchy and feudalism, which is all about class. That was not the case in the United States. Yeah. Um, the United States, we emerged out of race. And so our major polarity in the early years of this nation was along the lines of race and race was a proxy for class. But because race was a distinctive um, biological feature, our politics evolved more around race as a polarity 
versus class. And now in the 21st century, when we have gotten past some of the purely racial issues, we are just now emerging to understand in our politics that the analysis is about class. But when the majority of the nation, you know, at one point there were more um, black people and slaves in this nation than there were white people. Um, Our understanding of our politics was around class, around race. But we understand that because all of the black people were pinned to the bottom of the society, race approximated class. And so, like I say, it's just now in the 21st century that we're starting to see that race and class are, you know, separate issues um, in a political sense. But for the majority of Americans who have descended from slavery, it is still um, tempting for us to see race um, and not realize that race is coming through a lens of class. And in order for us to deal with that in this society, we have to be able to, like I say, build those alliances across um, class so that we can build a different type of solidarity. But I think it's simply the age of your society that lends itself to being more polarized around class because you had class before Europe got involved in the slave trade and introduced slavery. So this society was born out and through slavery, whereas the European societies had class. And then when they introduced slavery, it was a different dynamic. And I think because Europe put away um, slavery as an institution, they um, dismantled it sooner than the American society did. That attributes also to the fact why we lag behind in a pure class-based analysis of our society and politics. But we understand that's really what it's about. It's about rich and poor. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. I, I do want to add a, a point to that as well. Um, Noel is 100% spot on. And that's why those of us at RB, and this is why we continue to say that class is race and race is class. So a lot of times when we mention the working class, I don't know how it is in, in UK. I know a little bit because I have a friend that lives there. But a lot of times when we mention like class is race and race is class, it's like in the United States, when we keep saying working class, working class, people need to understand for the most part, black people are the working class. Yeah. When we talk about the homeless population, you have to understand that 40% of the homeless population is black, although we're only 13% of the, the national population. That doesn't make any sense. So people have to understand, like, that's where that comes from. I want to bring in Anita, because I know Anita's been waiting. Anita, go ahead. I know you're um, uh, a speaker. Go ahead. Okay. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, good. Um, I'm actually coming off of my computer and I have never done this before, so I just want to make sure that would work. Um, uh, so anyway, I'm uh, calling for the first time uh, from Southern Indiana. I live uh, near Bloomington, Indiana, which is a Big Ten IU, um, is in Bloomington. It's a Big Ten University. And um, <clears throat> I just oh, first want to say, Sabby, I, pardon? I've been there. Oh, you have? Okay, yes. A lot of tourists come here. It's a pretty nice little area. Um, I really appreciate your show. I appreciate what you do, and uh, I really enjoy listening to you. And um, just a little bit of my background to kind of give a sense of where I'm coming from. 
I'm 61 years old. Uh, I've traveled around a lot, but I, um, my family is in Southern Indiana, so I'm in my hometown region, but I haven't spent my whole life here. Um, so I kind of come from the world of what's it's like in Southern Indiana, but also knowing that there's, you know, definitely a world outside of Southern Indiana. Um, so anyway, uh, the main reason that I wanted to call in this evening was because there was a gentleman who called um, on the, let's see, the 6th, or was that last Monday night? Um, <clears throat> uh, December 6th, this gentleman named Dorian, he called and he said that he thought that people should start a fund to buy a politician. And um, I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> I was just, I've just been marveling about that ever since he said that because, you know, how there's that joke where politicians should uh, be like race car drivers and have the name of their sponsors on their suits. I just thought if, if the, like a grassroots started some kind of GoFundMe where they were going to buy a politician to uh, finally represent us because apparently they only represent people who give them money. Um, wouldn't raise millions and millions of dollars. It would have to be like a political uh, campaign, um, a strategy to try to call attention to how our politicians don't represent us anymore. Or not that they ever really represented us, but at least in the past, I think that there were some politicians who kind of cared about that. But it's clear now that they're just thieves in there now. They're all for the money. It's all about the money. And to have a campaign that was strongly uh, publicized to call attention to it, try to get people to make contributions to it, saying we're going to put our money in so that we're going to get one of these. And I'd say go for one of the progressives, go for them, <clears throat> say we're going to raise enough money so that you'll finally listen to us. And it's not so much that you actually get them to do it, but that you are making the point of this is the way to get them to listen to us. And I just think that that would really uh, shake a lot of people up in their complacency about, you know, we've all been given the lesson about, uh, you know, there are representatives and we vote for them and that's what everyone's been taught and that's what they do. But in our hearts, I think a lot of people realize or come to realize how that's not true. If it ever was, it certainly isn't now. And that's not how things are happening. And more and more people need to wake up to that because, you know, they just think that it's radical people or political people you know, nerds like people who listen to you, Savvy, and um, <clears throat> that, that we're the only ones that, that are aware of these things. But, but I think more and more people are starting to get aware of it. They're uncomfortable with politics because our culture teaches us not to talk about politics. So it's really hard to, to bridge the divides that are created by our social upbringing and mainstream media and everybody that just kind of keeps us all in our little boxes so that we can't talk with each other. So I just thought that Dorian's idea was a great idea because it really shines a bright light on how the politicians, even the ones that say that they're in there fighting for us, uh, don't fight for us. They fight for their, their donors. So like Dorian suggested, we should become a donor. And I'm not saying that we should raise millions of dollars because, you know, obviously Bernie Sanders raised millions of dollars. We could do it, but it would be more of a political um, performance art, you know, just like saying, we can put a bunch of money together and you need to listen to us too, and not just listen to the people that have money. Um, so 
I kind of was wanting to call in and just say that I thought that that was a really great idea and would kind of like to see more going in that direction, see if other people heard that and what kind of thoughts people had about that. Um, yeah. There was one other thing. That was, that, uh, I wanted to, that was uh, Tuesday night, right? I think that was Tuesday night Tuesday. Dorian called in. Yeah. yeah. I remember. December 6th. Yeah. Yeah. So he had a great idea. <laughs> um, I also wanted to say that um, I just over this weekend, I, I'm talking more and more to people like strangers that I run into. I'm just getting so frustrated and upset about seeing everything that's happening and how quickly it's happening and how people don't do anything or say anything. <laughs> so I've just started taking to if I get a person who will even listen to me, I kind of go off. <laughs> just maybe I say too much, but actually I've been really impressed. In the last week, I talked to these two Southern Indiana women um, and just kind of started talking about how the people in power are clamping down on us and it's getting tighter and tighter. And they were a little bit older and they agreed that, you know, they in their lifetime had seen it going this way that they, even in Southern Indiana, could recognize that the people in power, the people who have the money, are clamping down tighter and tighter. And they're, they're making it harder and harder for the working class. And um, I was just really thrilled because <laughs> these were two strangers that I just started a conversation with, like one in line in a grocery store. And they were like in agreement with me. And I, like I said, they were strangers. I was just really taking a chance that they wouldn't punch me out for having this conversation with them, but they um, were, they could see it. They understood it. So I kind of wanted to give that back to you. Cause like I said, I'm coming from Southern Indiana and I just, it's a very red state. Now uh, the Bloomington area is like, it's kind of the uh, blue oasis and the sea of red surrounding us with the rest of the state. But um, you know, just to kind of find even in this area that I could kind of just speak to a random stranger and, and have them get it uh, was filled me with a lot of hope. Actually, <laughs> I've been feeling a great deal of despair and loneliness and isolation. So I thought I'd just start speaking to people randomly and see where it went. And Lisa's, you know, very small little sampling, uh, they, they were like, on board they understood they, they got what i was saying so that's right i thought i would give that back to you because you guys i, I you know when we're here in the middle of the country we kind of feel like we're forgotten <laughs> so um a lot of times it's good to sort of remind people that yeah even if we're living in a red state we're still here and um you know there are a few of us uh who who don't agree with the the sea of red around us or uh the, right the Democrats right. and where they're all coming from. So um, just kind of let you know that the, the base and the, the people that uh, are open uh, might be broader than a lot of people think. And that's kind of what true. my lesson was. So. That's true. Um, I, I think, I, well, first and foremost, I'm so proud of you um, for <laughs> making those attempts to have those conversations with people. It's not easy. Um, no. And I think, you know, a, a lot of us are so politically divided that it's gotten to the point where people feel like they can't even talk to people about worker issues anymore. Yeah. And it shouldn't be that way, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, imagine like if Chris Smalls would have thought that way, then he wouldn't have unionized the first Amazon warehouse. Right. You have to look beyond that. And then I tell people, look, look, I've been Democrat for the most part 
Uh, I will say ever since I was a freshman in high school. And mm-hmm. I, I was not one of those people that was influenced by my parents because my parents, I didn't find out until recently that my dad has been an independent all this time. My parents did not enforce politics on me, even though we watched the news every night. Uh, They didn't enforce it on me. My dad wanted me to make my own opinion, but I've been a Democrat since I was like a freshman in high school. And then when I went to college, like I joined College Democrats, which was like an organization there and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I heavily supported Barack Obama. Like I was super excited for him. Um, And then after that, I was just like, uh, Obama kind of sold us out too, you know? And then when Bernie came around, I was like, oh shit, like this guy is saying exactly what I've been experiencing because I waited tables. I didn't have health insurance when I was a waitress. I didn't have paid sick leave. I I interviewed the railroad workers tonight. So the same things that they were talking about, I understand because like I, I did not have those kind of benefits either at one point in a time. And what is really upsetting though, is that that was many years ago. Here we are 2022 and we still have people fighting for paid sick leave in this country. And that's what was really upsetting to me. Like this should not even be an issue anymore. And I hear what you're saying about the red states because I went to college in South Carolina for undergrad. Red state. I don't care what anyone says, it's a red state. And even the Democrats in South Carolina, they're not like Bernie Democrats. You you have some of them there like in Charleston like area, maybe some in, in, in Columbia, South Carolina as well, which is where I went to college. But it does not compare to the amount of Republicans in the state. And then, you know, I, I moved to Massachusetts. I've been here for almost 11 years now. And sometimes I forget what that was like because I've been here for so long. And in my state, we don't have a lot of those issues because in Massachusetts, we have passed a lot of those progressive policies that Bernie Sanders ran on that they're still trying to to get implemented on the federal level. $15 minimum wage passed before I even moved here. That was already a thing. Um, Paid family leave passed in 2021. So everybody gets that here now. Um, legalization of marijuana passed a couple years ago. I was able to vote for that. And then the cannabis shops came and it's just been growing and growing and growing. Um, so that actually has helped the economy a bit. And to the point where this year they announced that, you know what? They dropped the prices at the cannabis shops because of the fact that they're making so much money off of it. They don't even they don't need to make it expensive anymore. Like it it is a booming thing. It really does help the economy to have those shops. So that that's like a a big part of it too. But the gay marriage issue before the Supreme court legalized it, Massachusetts was the first state to do so. And what I want to add, what people may not understand about that particular uh, situation, we didn't vote for that here in Massachusetts. That passed because of the activist groups on the outside. There was an activist group here called GLAD, and they sued the Supreme Court in Massachusetts because the court would not allow gay couples to get married. Hmm. 
So they actually sued them. And after the lawsuit, the court said, well, we don't want to have to deal with this. So that was when they implemented, they said, you know what, we're just going to make it legal for gay couples as well. That was how we legalized gay marriage here in Massachusetts. So a lot of the things that we have passed here actually came from push from the activist groups side, not through the inside game. And what I have seen over the time is that a lot of the progressive policies have passed on the local level. Yeah, they're not passing on the federal level, but they're passing on the local level, even in red states. Nebraska legalized $15 minimum wage. Florida legalized $15 minimum wage. And by the way, people keep saying Florida is a swing state. It's not a swing state. It's a red state. Mm -hmm. South Dakota just expanded Medicaid. Most of the ballot initiative states are red states. Mm -hmm. And it, it pains me when I hear so there's so much focus on the federal level when it comes to electoral politics. When it comes to the progressive policies, those things are not being passed on the federal level. Look, we saw them strike down $15 minimum wage on the federal level. Seven Democrats in the Senate voted against it. I didn't expect the Republicans to vote for it. But the fact that seven Democrats voted against it, that's ridiculous. So what they, I've been telling people. Dollars. I'm sorry, go ahead. Right, right. Because again, there's no corporate interest attached to it. If there's no corporate interest attached to it, chances are it's not going to pass. Same thing with this whole railroad worker uh, agreement. Why didn't they pass the seven-day sick leave? There was no corporate interest attached to it. So what I've been trying to tell people, and Roger Meadows has been doing this as well, you can pass a lot of these aggressive policies faster on the local level than on the federal level. And when I say this to people, they're just like, well, you know, but we need it for everybody. Okay, totally get that. Here's the thing. People need to understand that when these policies pass in a ballot initiative state, it puts pressure on the surrounding states to do the same thing. When we legalize marijuana here in Massachusetts, that put pressure on Connecticut, New York, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. It puts in it, it spreads. And I know some people will come in and they'll say, well, marijuana, that makes the state money. That's a little bit different. Okay, paid family leave doesn't. That doesn't make the state money. We passed it. So it's just some of these things people need to get done on the local level. The $15 minimum wage is way overdue, way overdue. So many states. It's like more like 27 now at least. <laughs> yes, we're like, we're so behind the curveball when it comes to that. And there has been a lot of focus on politics on the federal level. Uh, in reference to mainstream media, right? How often does mainstream media talk about local politics? How often does not talk is, about the weather anymore locally? <laughs> they don't want to do anything locally. They don't want you to think no. locally. I, I think that's part of their strategy too, because they know that there's power locally. They don't want people to, mm -hmm. I mean, look how many local television stations, local radio stations, all, newspapers. I mean, we can hardly find out what's happening in our area anymore. 
Mm-hmm. I, there's probably some design to that. I mean, first of all, it's the monopolies taking things over and saying they can't make m- enough money on a small town newspaper or television station or radio station. But I think there's, I, I, I believe very nefarious things for the people who are pulling the puppet strings. I really do. <laughs> it's, I, don't, I think they've been, the people who've been in control have been in control for generations. Generational wealth is not just money they pass down. They yep. pass ideas, they pass attitudes, they pass a way of seeing themselves as superior to everyone else and how they should be controlling everyone else. And they pass down tricks that have worked for a millennium. <laughs> and divide and conquer has never stopped working. And it's it's so ridiculous because it works again and again. And every generation is like they got to learn it all over again. It's but, that's really right. sad. That's and I do right. got to say, though, all the people that put down older people... Yes, I understand that there's a lot of baby boomers who deserve all the crap that you give them. <laughs> I'm I'm 61, so I'm in that group. But um, they're they're not all like that, and I know you guys know that too. But um, there's a lot of wisdom in older people. I'm sorry, it's true. When people have lived for a while, they see things, and they can say, yeah. you know, it was like this, and it wasn't like that. For one thing, the whole force the vote. That used to just be a political strategy. That was just common political strategy. And then the fraud squad comes out and tries to make it sound like people are trying to do violence against them. <laughs> it's just like, I mean, that was like such a major coup of, of gaslighting that they pulled on that one. I mean, Jimmy Dora, he starts his show off with um, um, Jimmy Stewart in the um, uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, that whole movie. That's a great movie, by the way. I love watching old movies. There's a lot of lessons on old movies. You really get a sense of what the world used to be like. Um, and you kind of get a sense of how much things have just been repeated and repeated and repeated. And that's an important lesson to learn because if you recognize that this has been going on for generations, that the people who are pulling the strings know what they're doing because their granddaddies told them how to do it (laughs) and their granddaddies were doing it to our granddaddies decades ago so um they've known what they were doing and they've had the power to do it for a really really long time and it's like every generation of the working class has to practically start from scratch um especially in the last 30 or 40 years since reagan came in and broke up the unions the way he did and basically turned all the working class people into wanting to be millionaires. I mean, that's where a lot of that thinking started. Before that, there was a lot more unity in the working class. And then in the 80s, there was this whole idea that everyone was going to become millionaires. And suddenly, they were all fond of what the millionaires wanted and supporting all the celebrities. And they forgot all about their class union. That's really about when that started. Because in the 60s and 70s, I was really young at that point. But I saw it around me. I know that there was a great deal of social union at that time. And, um, you know, we've just lived through decades of ripping it apart. And the people who are in control, they know exactly how to control us. And we got to learn what people before us knew so that we don't have to keep repeating the same lessons and keep reinventing the, reinventing the wheel again and again. Absolutely. We don't have time for that anymore. That's right, one hundred percent. Levi, were you, um, Levi, were you finished? Because I have two more callers. I want to bring in Jesse and Rob. Just wanted to check. Um, Jesse, I invited you to speak. Okay, I think, I think Le- Levi is uh, 
finished. So Jesse, you are the next caller. You have to unmute. Hello, Jesse. Hey. I can hear you a little bit. Yeah, I'm in my car, so it might be a little noisy. If you get annoyed, let me know. I can hear um, you. Um, Roger and Anita, can you mute really quick? Thanks. All right, what's too, going on, Jesse? Not too much. Um, I just uh, have been listening to, yeah, I listened to the interview with Ryan Grimm and Shama Swant, which was pretty intense. Um, but uh, kind of, and I also listened to a bit of Breeze calling, and, you know, the same thing came up at the end of that about, like, well, if the if the left were to run a presidential candidate in 2024, you know, we don't even know who it would be. And I was curious if you've uh, if you've been following a John Stasevich anymore. I think I remember you mentioning him when you and the rest of the Revelation, uh, the RBN crew were on her podcast. Um, he's like a nurse from Minnesota. Um, yeah, I have to bring him back on. It's been a minute. Um, I've had him on before, but I do have to bring him back on. Um, the The only thing I am concerned about is that uh, I think this was back during the Assange rally in D.C. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. From the impression that I got is that he was going to try to run a centrist campaign, which I'm not feeling. Right. Right. And then was going to try to do a dirty break, okay. but I don't, okay. I don't, I don't like that. Um, sure. Sure. You need to come real with people and tell people what you're really about. Um, but I do need to bring him back on. Um, but I will say again, like I think you know, case and case study is here. Case has the right idea about you need to do something for the people before you run and Shama Sawant is spot on with this with socialist alternative. And I've talked to her about this multiple times. She is all, they're already helping people first. And then the candidate is not someone who wants to be a politician. They are selected by the group and the group selects the person that they think will be the best person for the job. I think that's where we need to go. Um, case study is trying to do like a mutual aid political party yeah, that, so that way yeah, that, yeah people are getting mutual aid done for them in the community and, and and this way the people get something so even if the candidate loses the people in the community are still being serviced and i think that piece is very crucial you know i've i've look i've participated in politics for years I was on the debate team when I was in high school. I was a part of college Democrats when I was in undergrad. Like politics has been a part of my life for a long time. And I will tell you this, every year I heard the same complaints. Voted for this person, they didn't do what they said they were gonna do. I donated money to this candidate and they didn't do what they said they were gonna do. And honestly, I'm so tired of hearing it. I really am. So it's just like, this is why they need to be doing something for the people regardless regardless if you're going to be a candidate or not and the candidate has to come from the movement of people that are helping people sure, it sure. doesn't need to come from a we, i think we learned this from justice democrats we learned this lesson yeah yeah I'm I'm an, I'm an, i really like the idea of um like of a um of a campaign being useful political action a campaign just being 
like trying to spread the word and get this person elected, the campaign can also be political action for the overall cause at the same time, I think is kind of what you're referring to, huh? Right. Like you, you have to help people. Like you can't just, you know, I'm thinking back to people like, I'm thinking back to, back to like social leaders we've had. I'm thinking back to people like MLK, Malcolm X, the Black Panthers, you know, like Fred Hampton, Huey Luton. Like, why were they so beloved with their community? Because they were helping people in the community. They weren't trying to run for political office. But imagine if we had that, that same person doing stuff in the community, and then they run for office. That's what Shama Sawant is. Now, she's on the local level, but I would argue she's been able to get more accomplished for people in Seattle than the squad has been able to get accomplished for people in their their districts. I've talked to people in their districts. Yeah, I lived in Iona Press's district. I know ain't nothing happened there. I know things haven't changed. I've talked to people in AOC's district. They're telling me that when they contact AOC's office, they're being told by the representatives there that they're not even considering Medicare for all this time. Uh So it's just, you can't, you know, it, it, it just, once you go into DC, into those two parties, you are now a part of the party. And I talked about this on Rising as well. At the, at the time when Justice Democrats was introduced and we said, okay, send people into the Democratic Party, have them break up the party, hostile takeover. In theory, it did make sense. But in practice, we have seen over the years, it's not working. They're not following the principles of DSA and their DSA members. They're not following the principles of Justice Democrats and they're, they're Justice Democrats. And for me, I'm really looking at some of these human rights issues. You know, you can't be a part of an organization and say you're going to stand with the Palestinian people and then you turn on the Palestinian people and you support the state of Israel instead. While I'm sitting here and I'm watching videos of Palestinians being brutalized, you can't do it. You can't sit up here and say that you were going to push defunding the police and as soon as you get any kind of pressure from nancy pelosi or now would be hakeem jeffries or the democratic party and they say we're not moving in that direction you can't fall back on that you you can't you were supposed to go there to disrupt it you were not supposed to go there to get along and fall in line unless you want to be a career politician which is not what they were supposed to be so for me it's very frustrating you can't go in there and be a strike breaker when both DSA and Justice Democrats have policies and principles that you are not supposed to break up worker strikes. You cannot do that. And I don't know how long it's going to take for people to get this through their heads. But Nick pointed out to me earlier today, he said AOC hasn't tweeted since this whole debacle happened with the strike. What? With the, with the huh. vote. What? Je- Jesse, what, what state you in? I'm up in uh, north of Seattle in Washington. Wow. Well, you could be helping with uh, that whole Washington thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've signed the petition. I was As I was driving here, I was thinking, I saw I saw they did a, uh, I tuned into like a little video call they did recently, and I think they're like a long ways away from getting enough uh, signatures to get it on the ballot, unfortunately, but they're making the point that the more signatures they get, the 
the more the better message that sends and everything so i was thinking about trying to trying to get in on that a little bit um here before the end of the year one of them will be on tomorrow night um there is another activist group called medicare for all everywhere they're Uh going to be on tomorrow night cool yeah they're trying to get this done like through nationally like all over um so they're going to come on and talk about that and explain that no, I think but, that's cool. I'm actually a nurse, so I uh, I work. I'm I'm all in that. And I was just visiting my friend whose mom is basically dying of cancer, and he's talking about all the time he's spending trying to learn the billing system and figure out how they're going to like not lose their house, you know, in this whole process and everything. Yeah, and it's it's really sad and unfortunate. And like even tonight, like someone called in earlier, and they were like, they were really heartbroken when they heard um, Matt who was a part of the Railroad Workers United say that, you know, his wife got sick and she passed away and he didn't get paid for that time off, but he had to take care of his wife. And they were like, you know, how how could you keep it together? Because I've seen this before, because I've had coworkers go through the same thing where a family member died and they weren't allowed. Some of them weren't even allowed to take the time off. And those who were allowed to take the time off, they weren't paid for it. it it's, it's very troubling, it, you know, What's happening with the railroad workers, it's not just uh, specific to them. It happens across industries. People who are waitresses, people who are bartenders, they have to go through this, especially if you're in a mom and pop uh, restaurant. Oftentimes you don't have health insurance. Oftentimes you're not getting paid uh, sick leave. When I waited tables, I didn't get paid sick leave. Like if, if I had sick, I remember one year I got the flu and I still tried to go into work because if you're waiting tables, if you don't go in, you don't get paid. Yeah. That's just kind of how it works. So I still tried to go in. I was there for like 30 minutes and I was in the kitchen before my shift started. And I thought I was going to pass out yeah. because I, I had a fever and I was really sick. And they were like, Sabrina, go home. And I was like, but I need to make the money because I have to pay my rent. And I was in college when that happened. And I, I still had to pay my rent. I was like, I have to, I had yep. need the money. I have to pay my rent. And they're like, you can't be serving food if you're sick. But I saw servers do this all the time. And I'm just letting you guys know, you know, don't be surprised if there's servers like waiting on you and they're sick because they need the money. And we should not have to deal with that in a country like the United States, where this country has so much money, you guys, compared to other countries in the world. This country has a lot of money. And it's really upsetting to me that we shouldn't even this whole contract issue where Congress has to negotiate a contract for the railroad work. That shouldn't even be an issue. Everybody in this country should have sick leave. And I brought that up with the workers tonight. I said, hey, you guys and the truckers and the port workers, everybody should get together and like be like, you know what? We want have sick leave, but you know what? You need to give everybody in this country paid sick leave. What are they going to do? Someone told me they can bring in the military to do their job. Really? The military is going to learn how to be a railroad engineer instantly overnight? Do you know how long it takes to learn that job? That is a skilled position. And good luck with that, by the way, because military recruitment is down. So, So good luck. Yeah. But you see, you're in Seattle, so you're in Shama's area. I'm in her area. I live about an hour and a half north. But yeah, I uh, I was down there. I, I remember being down in town last fall and when the recall election was happening. And uh, I had a friend who lived in her district at that time, so I was checking it out. 
Yeah. So she was like, she was a part of the fight for 15. Like I've had her on a couple of times. Like she really broke like things down, you know, like how they were able to accomplish what they accomplished. And I think that like, we need to focus like more so on these things. This is why I bring act. I try to bring activists on as much as I can. Yeah. Um, it's not always easy because they're usually out doing stuff. <laughs> yeah. But, um, even this Saturday, I'm going to, um, I'm going to try to live stream it. I am going to live stream it. I'm going to do it. Uh, there's a anti-war, anti-imperialist uh, rally in Boston at Boston Common. And I'm going to live stream that. I'm going to be there for that. Like, we have to be there for these things if we can. Like, on the weekend for me, it's really, it's easy. During the week can be kind of tough. Um, but when I hear about these things, I try to participate in them. And... Um, Jill Stein is actually hosting a webinar this Saturday too with uh, Boston Community Church about uh, climate change and all of that stuff. I'll be a part of that as well. So I think that like, I mean, it's different for me. Like I was an activist before I was a podcaster. So for me, it's just common sense. It's just like, yeah, you connect the two. We're having a um, at the British consulate in Manhattan this Saturday at 1 p.m. Uh, I heard an Assange rally. I heard. I wish I could have been there, um, but I could be. I was like, well, damn, because I had already signed up for the Boston rally, and I was like, well, I can't be in Boston and New York at the same time. But um, are you going to go, Roger? Because I heard um, Roger Waters is going to be there, and Max is going to be there. Yeah, I'm going to try to get over there. You should do it, Roger. And you need to take some pictures or something. I know you don't like to go on camera, but you can take pictures and like you did with when you met Caleb. Be like, hey, I'm here. Sabby, I, I was here. <laughs> I'll take pictures. You know what? I don't know if you all have heard, but I was listening to a piece today and they were talking about the fact that, and maybe it was an old piece and it was just new to me, but Daniel Ellsberg, who was a part of the Nixon situation, had received a duplicate of the files that Chelsea Manning had given to um, Julian Assange and WikiLeaks. And so what he was putting forward is, as an American citizen and as a you know, he was given the, the duplicate file as a safeguard in case something happened with Julian Assange. So he's saying, I have the same records that Julian Assange did and all of these other papers that have published those records. We should be eligible or suspect for being charged with the same things Julian Assange has because we have the same information that he had. And I think what the strategy is, is to challenge this nation under democratic leadership to say, if you're going to do Julian Assange this way and he is not even an American citizen, certainly you're going to have to come after us too. And mm. so now the American um journalistic community, especially those that have published those um, records that were made available. They're finally, I think, finding their footing to realize that they're going to have to stand with Julian Assange and put some some um, blood in the game and challenge the nation 
to see them all through that same prism as um, Julian Assange or to back off Julian Assange. And I think because Biden is in such a bind over this breaking up of unions that he may be willing to let Julian Assange off the hook because now they realize they're in a bad political space, you know, with this union busting because everybody sees it so clearly. So they're using the Brittany Griner thing, which is wonderful that she was released, but yeah. they're going to use everything at their disposal to try and create some good, good amongst the people. And I think we have that real chance to see the Julian Assange situation dealt with in a more just way. But the other thing I wanted to mention right quickly is that that um, socialist alternative paradigm bears some real study. And not only does it tap into what Anita was talking about, you know, funding your own candidate, but there is something special in that mix in terms of the commitment that those members have. Because like you say, it's not just the person who wants to, you know, grab the golden ring, but they decide as a group who should be the one to run for these offices. So there's a different level of commitment, but I think it is what we need to be attempting to examine and replicate because they have demonstrated with recall after recall against big money like Amazon, and they're still prevailing. So it's not just a model of what can be done, but they have a track record of doing a thing. And I think we really would benefit by studying that. And it's also not lost on me. I don't know how everybody else feels about this, but it is not lost on me that Sama Sewant is of East Indian descent which means that she may not have had the heavy duty social overlay and programming that we get in this country. I don't know when she arrived here, but she's definitely a freer spirit to speak the truth. And she doesn't seem to be as encumbered with being um, politically correct in a certain way that some of us are. I noticed that in the interview with her and Brianna Gray, you could tell Brianna Gray was um, very much more concerned about being politically correct and not being offensive to her guests. Of course, it was her show. But Sama Sewant is like that everywhere she appears. She's just clear, cut, cut to the point, cut to the chase. And so there's something that, and, and I question which portion of it is just who she happens to be as a person and which part of it is something that can be learned because that integrity and that forthright thing, the only other place I kind of see it in a, a more prominent way is with people like Chris Hedges. But there is something that we have to build these politicians so that they are not, you know, stray away once we get them to where we need them to go. Well, it's like that once you get further and further away from the United States, to be honest with you, because if you if you go to I mean, I grew up. I guess like partially most of my childhood, I grew up in Germany. Right. So in Europe, like in France, by the way, in France, the people there would never put up with what we put up with here in the United States. They rose up multiple times. They would never tolerate this shit. They would not tolerate not having paid sick leave. 
They would not tolerate. By the way, you have a baby. You live in France. You have a baby. You already have like a social worker assigned to you to assist you with the baby. They would never put up with it. Same thing in Germany. They don't tolerate this kind of stuff. So, and it's like that the further you get away from the U.S. And so, and this is why I say like when I was on uh, George Galloway show uh, on Moats TV, he mentioned to me that a lot of times the UK kind of take their, uh, they take their um, direction from the US. But what he did also say was that, but when it comes to the social issues in reference to like the social programs, they are ahead of us. Meaning that they have like that nationalized healthcare system, right? They have the guaranteed maternity leave for people. So they said when it comes to those issues, they're actually ahead of us. But other than that, they usually take their lead from the U.S. Uh, if you go to some of those other countries, though, it's it's very different. You go to France, like I said, the people do not. They're like, hell no. When we had a heavily racially segregated U.S., France was not that way. This is the reason why people like Langston Hughes, um, oh God, what's her name? I can see her face. Uh, African-American, she was an actress, singer. Um, Joseph geez. Baker. Josephine Baker, Josephine Baker. People like her, this is why they left the US and they moved to France because there, they were able to live freely. And this is back during, this is before Dr. King. So just keep this in mind. They were able to live freely there. They were able to be artists there, get what they were, get paid what they were worth there. And when Josephine Baker came back to the United States, I think this was the first time she came back. I think it was right before Dr. King rose up. It was shocking to her to perform in New York and still have to perform in front of a segregated audience because she had been living in France for so long. And that was, it just wasn't that way there. So you had a lot of like those jazz musicians, like, and, and artists and, um, actors like, uh, African-Americans, they moved to France because there they could live freely. This is what I'm trying to say. Like James Baldwin. That's right. When you look at a lot of the other countries, like I said, the further you get away from the U S for the most part, it's not that way. We are behind the ball. But I think we, we um, and it makes perfect sense to me, um, just like the conversation we were having with Levi, those countries did not emerge through slavery the way this country did. I mean, they were involved in the slave trade, but but Germany and England and France were not built out of the slave trade. This country was its whole foundation. I mean, if you erase the impact of slavery, this country doesn't exist. It You're just right. doesn't. And I think it's because there was such an over-reliance on that. It, it bears um, traits to our society to this day that we cannot get beyond. And I think where you say the black Americans, um, African-Americans who were definitely descended of slaves who moved to the European theaters because mm -hmm. it provided them a different level of freedom. It is because those societies had evolved in a way that they were just not um, 
turned upside down by the occurrence of race. And 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 believe me, they still had their involvements and they still had their issues like France with Haiti and certain parts yeah. of Africa and this and that. But their societies at home were not just destroyed through the incidents and occurrence of slavery because their societies were based more on a colonization of Africa than it was exporting the Africans to do the work like they did here in the United States and in, you know, parts of South and South Central America. But that said, again, it comes back to the issue of our society being so polarized around race that we can't evolve in some of these other political issues because when we talk about people not having health care and I you know I think it's so odd that we we get talk about the issue of the strike because of sick days but when you think about it within the context of the United States we can't even agree to do universal health care so of course we're not going to you know, look at sick days because we can't even do the bigger issue of health care for everybody. But I think that bifurcation between the elites and the lower class and the working class in this country. And of course, we know that blacks are more heavily represented in the actual bottom of the lower class. If we could get past some of that race stuff, and I think we're going to have to, then we can begin to speak in one voice and demand some of those social um, benefits like some of the European countries. And we all have to admit that is why they killed Fred Hampton. Yeah, that is, you know, because he was talking about building connections across um, race in terms of solidarity around the issue of class. And that's that today is still the issue. And I just think, you know, like I say, that socialist alternative model, I think it it bears some study because we have seen that it is effective. And if we could replicate that, but it's not just Sama say one, it is the way that whole operation works because there's a different level of commitment there from just the members. Okay. Um, uh, I want to say something. Go ahead, Bryce. Um, if anything, like, uh, I just, you know, like I want people to fight, you know, like, uh, I, and if anything, like, uh, 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 I fuck with Rome, like, a lot and shit like that, you know, based on, like, you know, what they, they, they know and shit like that. So, even, like, Nick, like, he's, like, uh, the guy that rolls. I'm, a, I'm, if anything, like, I'm, I'm a boxer. So, like, mm-hmm. I, I, I think, I think people need to, like, you know, just, they gotta, they gotta fight. Oh, well, it's true. Um, and and there's a place for everyone, right? Like, not everyone is gonna be a physical fighter, right? Like, <laughs> no, they're if, not. If you if you look at and like you really study like the Black Panthers, like everyone had different roles, you know. And one thing I want to say is like a lot of times when people talk about the Black Panthers, they're talking about them on a national level. The Black Panthers was an international organization. They had chapters in South Korea. They had chapters in Germany. Like it was not just in the United States. Now, if you're going to school, they're not going to tell you that. When I was in school, 
when they talked about the Black Panther in history class, they said that the Black Panthers were a militant group. That's how they defined them. They didn't tell me that the Black Panthers had a breakfast pro, uh, program, that they were doing mutual aid, that they were building clinics. I had to find that out from my grandparents. Not everybody has Black grandparents, though. And this is why we have to educate everyone else. Sabi, are you familiar with that Uhuru movement? The, um, yes. I don't, I can't. That Uhuru. that resonates across that type of mutual aid programming, and I'm not. I just heard about it because they were raided back in the summer or something. But there there is something to that because they were talking about all the programming that they had done in certain communities. I think it was in St. Louis where they had actually taken blighted properties and stuff and right. turned it into playgrounds and, you know, doing the yeah, whole mutual aid thing, on it. you know. Yes, they've done that. Um, they have three locations, one in Oakland, St. Louis, and one in Fort Lauderdale. Um, excuse me, St. Petersburg, excuse me. Um, they are, yeah, awesome. I, I talked to Amali Yeshatella and I asked him about that. Like, how did you guys do this? Like, you know, um, he invited us to come to St. Louis so he can show us how it was done. But they have been helping people in their community for years, you guys, for years. A lot of us didn't even hear about them until they got, they got raided, right? That's right, right. Learned about them. You know, they kind of, they, they flew under the radar, which is probably how they liked it. But they had been helping people in the community for years. He's been doing this for like decades. Um, this is what it's all about. And this is what I'm saying. Like Rome right now has cases and cases of water for Flint. I think he should be mm. heading out in the morning. Cases and cases of water for people in Flint. Savvy. What's the U.S. government doing for people in Flint? Savvy. A couple months ago, Rome went to Jackson, Mississippi to drop off, again, cases and cases of water for people in Jackson, Mississippi, which, by the way, they still have dirty water. What's the U.S. government doing for people in Jackson, Mississippi? Do you see the problem? Yes. I want, I want to like let you know, like uh, I'm from, I'm from St. Louis and shit like that, and I never, I never knew that um, um, they were there. So, mm -hmm. so I, I, I mean, I, I've, I've heard about like um, uh, 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 KKK, like uh, you know, like uh, adopting the highway and shit like that, but I never knew like uh, uh, they were there. Yeah, they really flew under the radar. But like I said, that's probably how they wanted it, to be honest with you. Like, but this is why I tell people, like, we really got to stand in solidarity with the railroad workers and anyone yes. else who faces this situation. Like, can I, can I say something? Pay or, you know, we got to do that. Go ahead, Levi. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to bone. I think the reason you feel solidarity, um, well, the reason any of us on calls for solidarity is something in your body, um, something to do, to do with uh, growing up in a certain circumstance, and whatever it is, whatever it is. And uh, I'm listening to everyone, and I, I'm hearing you. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, uh, this class, like, why experience this class, whatever you experience it as, whatever it's leavened with. For me, it's like ethnic class situation from England at that time and for you it's all uh, you know like Noel was saying like the history of it coming out of race in America uh, totally 
but here I am in, in, in America trying to teach. I'm, I'm reading for the first time, like, properly, uh, the Zins, people's history and stuff. And I just feel like it's, it's in your body. Like, you feel like like the sentiment of class, or the, the whatever you want to call it, the sentiment of race, the sentiment, the, whatever that sentiment is that you feel in your body where you're like, I'm pissed about this situation and it's not right. And I can point to all these, I can point to so many things. I, I don't need to reason it with you. I feel it. Like, that's why Shama Sawant today, when she, when she said, shut the, when she, when she called out, uh, Ryan Grimm, and when people swear, something to do with swearing, like my dad couldn't get through his sentence without swearing. Um, now I'm in this, uh, this Islamic school and they, and you know, you're not supposed to swear. It's like this is foulness on your tongue. Uh, but it's wrong. They're wrong. It's, uh, it's my, it's my heritage. Swearing is, there's something to do with swearing. There's like, it's not always authentic. People just swear all the time. But there's something to do with like being, I'm really here and I really feel this. And I'm not just, uh, trying to teach you. Like when I read about stuff in a history book with you, I feel this shit. I feel it. And why can't you feel it? I don't understand why you don't feel it. And there's something to do with that, that, um, you know, it's in, it's in, uh, Raymond Williams, right? The, you probably, some of you people in there are probably theory readers, right? That, that, that feeling about the, the, the fucking, what is wrong with me right now? I'm, I'm, so, uh, I drank too much. But the feeling is, uh, that there's, there's a structure of feeling. There's a, there's, there's something going on at the level of sentiment in my body that I am pissed to listen to uh, people on these call-ins like Ryan Grimm when they try to put things into just rational terms instead of understanding, like, no, I'm angry. Like, you, no, it's not okay. Uh, and you people, you, because you're in Germany, you understand where it is to come from somewhere where you actually had something and you're coming to America and they don't have it and they think it's normal not to have it. And it's taking the piss. My aunt is dying of cancer in the Midwest. Fuck you. You're fucking trying to steal my aunt's life. My dad just died of cancer. My fucking everyone, people are dying around me and this place, America, is disgusting to not have like to not have healthcare and to not feel that to not feel that in your bones is weird deeply weird deeply estranging deeply alienating fucked up inhuman and obviously so many people here feel that but they feel it from the side of never having had it so there's a different feeling it's like we're fine towards having something but I'm coming from a place where, like, everyone had that. Everyone already had that. And now I come here, and you don't have it, and you're all trying to, and now you're trying to fucking fake me out, like I'm not supposed to have it. It's messed up. Um, Sabrina. Hello? Go ahead, Roger. I'm going to wrap up really in a sec, but go ahead. So I wanted to go back because um, there was something I forgot to mention before. Um, I think it was the lady from Indiana when she was speaking um, about no press coverage and um, like nothing gets covered on local stuff or whatever. 
I would say use, weaponize the obstacles the enemy has put up before you and use it against them. A lot of times when people know what you're doing, they put up more obstacles. We can do, I mean, I know Indiana is not a ballot initiative state, but we could run these initiatives and help others run these initiatives in like a stealth campaign. You see what I'm saying? And and then people like will turn around and go, hey, wait a minute, how did that get passed? You see what I'm saying? It's um it kind of reminds me of a of a friend who I who I grew up with. He was very he was very skinny, not good at sports, but we always underestimated him, even when we did not want to underestimate him. When we played two hand touch football, okay, every the quarterback is all looking at everyone else and, and not paying attention to this skinny kid. And he just comes out of nowhere and tags you. And you're like, how the hell did you, who keeps letting Mike through? <laughs> and it would, it would frustrate the hell out of everybody because we could not help but to underestimate this kid because he's like, he wasn't good, but he always, but because everyone underestimated him, nobody blocked him. So he always got through and always was able to tag the quarterback. You see what I'm saying? And that's what I'm saying. If, if they're not covering us, I see that kind of like as a positive, so to speak. You know, you have to learn how to take what the enemy uses against you and turn that against them. Make it work for you. You feel what I'm saying? And, and, um, and also, if anybody out there knows of any progressive group in North Dakota, please let me know. I want to get in contact with them because they're already halfway there. They got... They they can, you know, they got the surplus that can finance anything that they want. And it's also a ballot initiative state. So that's what I had to say about that. Thank you so much for that, Roger. All right, guys, I'm going to head out. It is way past my bedtime, like way, way past. Um, but good night, all. And thank you so much.